0: Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences.
1: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Baltellini.
0: Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and there's not a whole lot to talk about this week. I mean, we just had an off week. We have an event coming up this weekend, the UFC Fight Night Grasso versus Araujo. Not not the prettiest on paper, but at the same time, it is something that we can discuss here on the TSN MMA show, because there's not a ton of news either. You just look at what we have uh, coming up, of course, UFC 280 on the horizon. There's a lot coming up, but in the past week or so, not a ton to discuss in the world of mixed martial arts, so I'm going to let a lot of the guests that we have on this week's show do the talking for me, because... We have a lot of them, and we're going to run that down right about now. We'll start off with the lightweight champion of the world, Bronx. Charles Oliveira joins us on the show. He will be discussing his upcoming bout against another guest that we have this week, Islam Makhachev, the two headliners from UFC 280. We're going to give you a bit of an early glimpse at uh, UFC 280 with the two of them, as well as Aljamain Sterling, who will join us on uh, this week's TSN MMA show. So we will have the Funkmaster joining us, and a bunch of the fighters on this week's UFC Fight Night card. We have one of the headliners, Alexa Grosso, joining the show, Brandon Royval, The newly minted bantamweight, Cub Swanson, and Canadian light heavyweight, back at light heavyweight, Misha Zerganov, As well as Shane Burgos, who will be making his PFL debut on November the 25th at the finale for the PFL Really looking forward to seeing him against Marlon Moraes. It's a really cool matchup that I didn't think we'd ever see. I mean, if you would have told me three months ago, four months ago, well, you think we'll ever see Marlon Moraes versus Shane Burkos? I would have said, what are you talking about? Marlon Moraes is a Bantamweight and he's retired. I think he retired about four months ago. So, I'm happy that we're going to be seeing a lot of good fights in the PFL to wrap up their season in November in New York. And uh, happy to have you joining me here on the TSN MMA show. So uh, thanks to all of these guests that are coming up. Eight guests. Count of Eight guests. So, you know, while we don't have a ton to uh, talk about in the world of mixed martial arts, we have a lot of people to talk to, and that's what matters, because they are the ones that uh, make this sport what it is, not me. Uh, Although I'm sure you'd like to hear some of my opinions on some things. Why don't we talk about some of the news that's come down today. It looks like Yuri Prokhorov versus Glover Teixeira too is headline. It was uh, might be headlining, I should say, might be headlining UFC 282. Apparently, still some moving parts, but uh, that is booked. The light heavyweight rematch of perhaps the fight of the year, in my opinion, the fight of the year of 2022. And we're already starting to talk about fights being booked into January 2023. And even February 2023, there was announced that, uh, there was a report that, uh, I think it was from Cole Shelton, that Don Jung would be taking on Devin Clark, potentially in Seoul, South Korea, with the UFC returning to Korea for the first time, of course, since, uh, before the pandemic. So that's, uh, some exciting news because hopefully it also means a return to Canada in the first quarter of, uh. 2023, although I have nothing that would indicate that that is happening. I would like to see it happen. So we'll uh, we'll have to see. Plus, we found out that Alexander Volkanovsky is uh, traveling to Abu Dhabi. I'm actually speaking with him later tonight. That won't be on today's show, but you'll hear it next week, or you can go to tsn.ca slash UFC for all of our interviews. And if you're listening to this on uh, TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa, you will get an abridged version of the show. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast and get uh, all of the wonderful interviews, you are free to do so. But uh, Alexander Volkanovsky going to be the backup. It's weird. The, the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport, according to the rankings, as a backup to fight up a weight class, you got to admire uh, Alexander Volkanovsky for, uh, for doing this. That means coming off an injury, but he has his sights set on great, greatness. And we know that Charles Oliveira is down there, but he also did technically missed weight for his last fight, so who knows? He's, he's out in, in Abu Dhabi walking lions, walking around with lions uh, with his team. Uh, pretty wild. As of this recording, Islam Makhachev is still in Dubai, but should be traveling to Abu Dhabi soon. No time change or anything along those lines. I don't know how exactly how close they are, but they're in the same country, so I imagine they can't be too far apart. So, that's what we've got on the horizon for UFC 280. But this weekend, of course, first things first, we've got a UFC fight night Grosso versus Araujo. And I'm trying to get the uh, odds up right now, but uh, having some issues with that. But I, I will get the odds up and we'll break this down. I also did a breakdown with uh, Clint from a Die Hard MMA podcast. Uh, if you, if you want to listen to uh, our breakdown of the card, you're free to do that, of course, anytime. You can check out anything that I've done. In fact, I was on with uh, Crooklyn. Steffi Haynes from uh, uh, Bloody Yellow was on her podcast. Talk a little bit about my career, about some of the hot topics in mixed martial arts. You can check that out as well. Appreciate uh, both Clint and Steffi for having me on their respective shows. Always appreciated. Alexa Grasso is the favorite. Minus 220 against Viviane Araujo at plus 168. Um, I think that Grasso is the rightful favorite here. I just don't know if I'd feel comfortable laying that kind of a chalk against somebody as good as Viviane Araujo in a five-round fight. I don't really know how this one's going to go, and the way that I look at it is they're kind of both the worst matchup for each other, which means the matchmakers are doing a pretty good job. But Grasso's had t- you know, trouble with some physical grappling-style fighters that are quick, like Viviane Arujo. And Arusha's had problems with good boxers, you know, fighters that are good strikers that can get in and out quickly, and that's something that Alexa Grosso is great at and possibly one of the best in the flyweight division at uh, that particular skill. Uh, and she's in a division full of fighters that are, are very good at that, like, uh, of course, the champion Valentina Shevchenko, Kaitlyn Chukagian, to name just a few. So, I would lean Grosso here, but, I mean, it's minus 220, and I think this fight goes to a decision. There's not a whole lot of value to be extracted from this particular fight even if you go through the props like i don't really see this This you know this fight can end in a variety of ways i think most likely it, it goes to a decision fight ends in split decision at plus 400 i think is uh an interesting one because i think it'll be a close fight i might that's the one thing i might take from this particular main event is fight ends in a split decision i think we're going to see a close fight here either way so let's see how it plays out, but uh, if I have to make a pick, I, I think Grosso is the more talented fighter. But I do know that Araujo is uh, a very, very tough out. I think her only losses have come to. Um, I know Jessica I was one of them. I'm trying to remember who her other loss was to. But uh, the Jessica I loss um, is uh, a little bit tainted by I not making weight wait for that fight. So. In terms of pure flyweight fights, the only loss on her UFC record is to Caitlyn Chukagian, who everybody loses to in the flyweight division and lost to Valentina Shevchenko. You don't see a lot of fighters have a ton of success against Caitlyn Chukagian. I think Jessica I might have gotten a win over her early in the division. Oh, and, and Jessica Androsha, that that awesome liver shot that put her down. But yeah, she lost a split to Jessica I. Uh, that's her only flyweight loss outside of Andrade and Shevchenko, but wins over um, Alexis Davis, Mar- Romela B- Barella, Calderwood, Jennifer Maya, Antonina Shevchenko, Cynthia Calvillo, of course, the aforementioned Viviana Araujo, Jennifer Maya, and Amanda Hebus. So uh, quite the resume that, of course, Caitlin Chukagian has wrapped up. Racked up, rather. And she's got a tough one ahead of her in Manon Fior. That's coming up soon. It's coming up on UFC 280. It's an awesome fight. Can't wait for that one. But uh, yeah, Grasso Arujo. You know, again, I think it's kind of a dogger pass from a betting standpoint. But I'll, I'll pick Arujo. Uh, sorry, I'll pick Grasso rather to win that fight. The co-main event: Jonathan Martinez against Cub Swanson. I like Swanson here. My plus 168. I think is really good value for the type of fighter that has given Jonathan Martinez a lot of problems in the past. He's really. Had trouble with fighters that make good adjustments. And that's something that Cub Swanson is excellent at. He's a savvy veteran. Not to mention that Cub Swanson's on a bit of a run. Like, he's on a sneaky, good run right now that I think a lot of people are forgetting about. Like, you know, uh, there was a time where I think a lot of people would have said, you know, Cub Swanson's washed. His best days are well behind him. He's on a four or five losing streak, but listen to the names he lost to Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar, and again, this is four years ago, four plus years ago. Um, not the the current version of Edgar, who will be retiring uh, after his fight that was just announced against Chris Gutierrez in uh, November, Renato Moicano, uh, another tough out, and Shane Burgos. So those were like, the, and it was a split decision loss, although if you were at that fight and you watched that fight, that shouldn't have been a split decision. But either way, those are his losses. But since then... 3-1, wins over Krohn Gracie, who is an underdog against. Daniel Pineda, who is an underdog against. Uh, TKO lost to Giga Chikadze. That was a, that was a particularly bad one, but Giga's like a top-ten guy. And then a recent win over Darren Elkins. First round win, a finish of Darren Elkins, who rarely ever gets finished. Because he's so tough and durable. So right now, Cub is on a pretty good run. He's moving down to bantamweight, and I just think that he possesses the ingredients that have given Jonathan Martinez problems in the past. Now Jonathan Martinez is still a young fighter and one who can if he starts putting things all together, show a, a much improved version of himself that we've seen. But thus far, his wins and, and the strength of schedule of those wins has not been particularly great. So uh, for Cubs and to get that kind of a number next to him, I think that's kind of a no-brainer in terms of uh, betting value at once and 168. I think that uh, it's a good look for, for Cub in this spot. And uh, if Jonathan Martinez wins, hey, I mean, Jonathan Martinez is 10 years younger than him and uh, has... Looked pretty good lately, so we'll see what happens. Um, I spoke to Cub, you know, yesterday, but you'll hear it later on in the show, about how I feel like Cub's style is, um, you know, a bit of a problem for Jonathan Martinez. And he was like, you you really know, I can tell you really know what you're talking about. And I'm thinking, Cub Swanson was the guy that said that before anybody can comment on the sport, they need to have had some amateur fights under their belt. And for him to say that, he thinks I know what I'm talking about. Without me having those amateur fights, I take as a as a big compliment from Mr. Swanson. So thank you, Cub. Hall of Famer. Man who got into the Hall of Fame with a uh, a fight that took place 35 minutes from where I'm sitting right now against Duho Choi. And not to mention in that very same building, defeated Charles Oliveira by knockout. The only person to score a legit, like a, a, a KO win. Not, not KO or TKO, but KO win over Charles Oliveira is Cub Swanson. And of course, we we know that Charles has improved quite a bit since then. So you know, not not trying to slag Bronx, but it is a thing that happened. Can't deny that it happened. I watched it this week. Askar Askarov minus two sixty, Brandon Royval plus one ninety six. Volatile fight, in my opinion, and one that I plan on staying away from because I think there are so many ways that this fight can go. You know, if it ends inside the distance, you, you got to imagine Royval is the one who you'd favor. But Askarov is also pretty crafty, and if if he tires Roival out, you never know what he's able to do. So, this is a fight that can end any which way, which is kind of the ones that I, I would tend to avoid. I do think that Asgrov wins the fight more often than not, but the price tag is a little bit high, so it's not even something that I would consider parlaying, because Brandon Royval's so talented. So, that one's a total pass for me. Dusko Todorovic, minus 215. Jordan Wright, plus 164. I do like Jordan Wright to win in the first round at plus 470. Like, if you want to take a, a, a prop and take a stab at something... That's the one i go to because I think that both these guys are very dangerous in the first round. And Dusko tends to do things that Jordan Wright is able to capitalize on. He keeps his head up very high. He's not great in the clinch. Those are the things that Jordan Wright is particularly good at. Now, Jordan Wright in his last fight against Marc-Andre Barrio looked like he was starting to slow things down in his fights. So I do think it's a little bit of a risk for me to take Jordan Wright to win in round one at plus 470. But I just thought that the value was very high for that. Um, so I decided to go with that. The uh, plus 470 round one prop for Jordan Wright. And I actually think Jordan Wright is a good play here as an underdog. I think that uh he actually is not a very good matchup for Dusko Todorovic, personally. I you know, Jordan Wright. I think a lot of people think that he's a guy that is just gonna get finished in the first round against everybody. But he's actually pretty durable. Like he loses quite a bit, but it takes a lot to put him away, if that makes sense. If you go back and watch his fights. They're not as cut and dry as I think a lot of people believe that they are. And as for Dusko Todorovic, he has, uh, I think, just one win in the UFC. So, and that's against Maki Batola, who's no longer with the promotion. So, it's going to be an interesting one. Jordan Wright with uh, wins over Ike Villanueva and uh, Jamie Pickett. Pickett's still with the promotion, who's going to be taking on Bo Nickel at the end of the year. At UFC 282, I believe, in December. Alonzo Menefield is a minus 225 favorite. Misha Serkinov, plus 172. This is another kind of dogger pass situation for me, and I, I like the Serkinov by submission prop. It's close to 4-1. To I think that that's Serkinov's best path to victory. I don't see this fight going the distance. Menefield apparently no longer working with Safe Sayud, which to me is a bit of a red flag, because I think Safe Sayud was able to get a, a lot out of Alonzo Menefield. So... Looking forward to that one. I think that's uh, an interesting matchup and a must-win for Misha Sirknov. It's the last fight on his contract. Moving back up to light heavyweight, didn't have a lot of success at uh, middleweight. And you'll hear this in our interview a little bit later on, but I mentioned to him, you know, what, if you're a submission, like a strong submission fighter, like you have strong submission skills, I shouldn't say submission fighter because then it sounds like you're in like, submission grappling. But if you're a fighter with really good submission skills. I think the higher the weight class you compete at, the better chance you have of winning. Like I think for him, his skill set is more conducive to 205 than it is 185. And Menafield, when he's been taken down, has often looked like a fish out of water on the ground. So the key for Misha Surkinov is to be able to last long enough to get a takedown, because Misha has had some trouble with his durability as of late. But um not like he's been getting knocked out, though. I mean, you look at his loss against Wellington Turman; that was a submission. Against uh, Christoph Jotko was a decision. Jotko doesn't really finish a whole lot of fights. So it's not like he's been, you know, he had that really bad knockout against Johnny Walker a while back, but I mean, this is separated at least, you know, more than a year from these these bad knockout losses. Mano Martinez minus 170, Brandon Davis plus 132. This was one I had a little bit of trouble with. I would lean Mana Martinez, but uh, I don't really have a strong read on it because I think that Brandon Davis kind of laid an egg in his last fight. He's capable of so much more. And then Mana Martinez kind of came on in his last fight in the third round against Ronnie Lawrence and showed that he is somebody who can, uh, you know, when the going gets tough, is able to to rally back. So tough one to call. I would lean Mana Martinez as a pick, but I think Brandon Davis is very talented. Victor Henry, minus 400. Rafael Assuncao, plus 285. And when I was on with, with Clint on his Die Hard MMA podcast, when we were talking about this fight. I said, it seems to me like this is kind of like an overcorrection of the steering wheel. Like, Victor Henry was a plus 300 underdog against Harani Barcelos. Gets the win. And are we really to believe that Asensio, who's lost to like some of the best guys at bantamweight, is, is so far gone from his best days that he should be a plus 285 underdog? This is a guy who's always been a really tough out. Historically. So, I don't know. The, the Asansao decision prop is screaming to me a little bit, because I think it's like plus 500, but, and I don't think he's going to get a finish here if he does win. So, I don't know. Victor Henry, I think, is the deserved favorite, but it just seems like a really big number. Nick Maximov minus 142. Jacob Malcoon plus 112. To me, this is just a dog or pass fight, because I think it's a coin flip fight. This is going to be a fight that could have just sloppy striking. Both guys are really strong grappling-based fighters. I'm going to lean Malkoon here just because I think the line should be basically dead even. So if you're going to get a little bit of value on one side, I think that's the side. I'd say the same thing if Maximov was like a small underdog here. I just think that this should be like minus minus one tenth both sides sort of thing. But we'll see what Malcolm can do. One thing I was looking at actually is uh, I want to see if there's a prop on this fight ending in submission. It's not out yet, but if, if I can get a uh, fight ends in submission prop... I might take a look at that because I feel like either one of these guys can snap something as the fight goes on. I think you'll probably get that around 3 or 4 to 1. Joe Anderson, Brito, minus 390. Lucas Alexander, plus 280. This is kind of a a dogger pass for me. I I don't know if Brito should be this big of a favor. I know he's coming off of a really good win against Andre Feely, and he's facing a short-notice opponent. But Lucas Alexander looks like a capable fighter. And we've seen Brito fall on his face at times in the past. So I I, w- I would just stay away from this one and, and proceed with caution if you're putting Brito in any of your parlays. Piero Rodriguez, minus 184, Sam Hughes, plus 142. I like the Hughes side here. You know, Hughes is training with Safe Sayud and looked career best in her last fight. And Piero Rodriguez, I think, is a really strong prospect. But one thing that she has had issues with is when fighters have taken her down. And that's what Sam Hughes is going to look to do in this fight. So I'm going to lean Sam Hughes here as an underdog at plus 142. And unless Piero Rodriguez can get her out late, I feel like Sam Hughes is going to win most of this fight on the ground. Tatsuro Tyra minus two fifty, CJ Vergara plus one ninety, and I, I was really high on the Tyra side until once again I was on with Clinton. He was kind of laying out the reasons why he liked Vergara here, so I'm starting to waffle a little bit on that one. And uh, Pete Rodriguez taking on Mike Jackson, Rodriguez minus seven twenty, Pete ja- uh, sorry Mike Jackson plus four fifty. If you went against Mike Jackson last time. Hopefully you've learned your lesson and you just know that this is a crazy sport where anything can happen. Pete Rodriguez uh not sure he's really UFC caliber at this stage in his career just yet either. Um so if you want people want to say that Mike Jackson might not be UFC caliber, let's see what Pete Rodriguez does in his fight uh in this situation. Mike Jackson technically on a two fight win streak right now. So uh that should be a, an interesting one because I feel like Mike Jackson's fights are always kind of interesting, regardless of what happens in them. All right. Any other news to get to before we start hitting these interviews? Um, Just taking a look at some sites here and seeing if there's anything that I uh, forgot about. But uh, I don't think so. Not at this point in time. I'm really excited for next week, UFC 280. Uh, One thing that I didn't touch on last week, uh, Kevin Holland is uh, taking on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So he had talked about being retired and things like that, but uh turns out that is uh, not the case. Gets a nice main event opportunity against Wonder Boy in Orlando. I like that matchup. I think that's a fun one for uh, for both sides. Aspen Ladd is uh, going to be facing former Bellator champion Julia Budd, the Canadian. And it's going to be at 145 pounds at the uh, PFL Championships. Uh, speaking of the PFL championships, later on in the show, you can hear Shane Burgos talking about uh, his signing with the, the PFL. So, well, uh, let's see how Aspen Ladd responds, uh, finding 145 pounds in a new promotion and potentially winning a million dollars next year because apparently there's going to be a 45 tournament. Uh, Jan Bojkovic taking on Magomed Ankalaev in the last pay-per-view of the year, UFC 282. Love that matchup. That is a, a real litmus test. Since we're going to get a rematch... At 2.05, this has to be a title eliminator. And it appears it's going to be on the same card as the aforementioned Yuri Prokashka versus Glover Teixeira. So should any either of those fighters fall out, I expect one of them to step in. But man, I hope it doesn't fall off. I hope that fight uh, stays put. Should be an interesting one. For sure. Uh, I'm looking forward to... Uh, both of those fights, Ankalaya versus Bojovic, three-round fight, which I think is very interesting. I feel like it, it'll be a better fight for that reason. And also at UFC 282, Alexander Gustafsson taking on Ovin St. Preux. So some more action in the uh, light heavyweight division. Interesting fight. Uh, good fight for both these guys at the stage of their career that they're in, for sure. Tuivasa against Pavlovich added to UFC Fight Night on December the 3rd in Orlando. That'll serve as the co-main event I uh, love that matchup. Tai Tuivasa coming off of that loss to Cyril Gan. Sergei Pavlovich coming off of a big win. So it, it only makes sense that uh, these two Lockhorns and Sergei Pavlovich on a roll right now. Uh, lost, I believe, it was in his debut to Alistair Overeem. Speaking of Alistair Overeem, I hope some of you caught glory over the weekend. He was getting beaten pretty handily by Badr Hari in those first two rounds. And then third round, he completely flips the table. And lands two knockdowns against Badr Hari, nearly gets a third one, which would have gotten him a TKO win, but instead ends up getting some 10-7 scorecards and uh, gets a decision win over Badr Hari. And now there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in glory in the heavyweight division. Because you've got a lot of potential challengers for Rico Verhoeven. I think they'll probably go with Overeem for the name value, but I mean, Jamal Ben Sadiq is looking good. Vesosic. Uh, no, sorry, but it's not so check. I'm trying to think who's... Uh, there's one other heavyweight that is really making a lot of noise in Glory. whose name is, for whatever reason, escaping me right now. So, um, very interesting to see what ends up uh, happening in the Bellator cage. Oh, sorry, in the Glory ring. I'm all over the place right now. Pardon me. I've been battling a, a bit of an illness lately. I don't know what it is. Just You know, you send your kids to school, and then uh, they just bring home every single illness under the sun. None of us have gotten COVID or anything like that, but it's just all kinds of different illnesses. I've had a sore throat and runny nose and all kinds of stuff the last couple of weeks. So forgive me if my brain is a little bit scrambled at times. I'm still fighting through all these different illnesses that the kids keep bringing home from school. You have three kids at school. It's basically since the since like the first week of school until now, it's just been like one thing after another. At least one person in the house has been Battling something at some point in time. So who knows? Who knows when that's gonna clear up? Hopefully soon. Hopefully before I travel to New York in uh, November. That would be nice. You know, is it too much to ask? in November, like I've pa- that paper is like one month from today. Just need it to like taper off just a little bit, just a little bit. All right. So there you have it. That is a UFC Fight Night. That is your news. And now we're going to get to our interviews, of which we have many. We'll start off with the lightweight champion of the world, Charles Dobronks Oliveira. I had to shorten the answers because, of course, there's a translator involved. So what I did was I chopped off her translation and then gave kind of the tail end of Charles's answers and then had the translation. So uh, just for the sake of... I mean, this is an English program, obviously. And for the uh, the sake of the interview being concise, I decided to uh, just kind of trim the answers a little bit. So you'll hear that coming up in uh, just a moment, as well as interviews with uh, Islam Makachev, Aljamain Sterling, Alexa Grosso, Brandon Royval, Cub Swanson, Misha Serkanov, and Shane Burgos. Stacked show. Appreciate you listening. We'll start off with the... I keep calling him the lightweight champion, but it's a vacant title. I keep saying he's the lightweight champion. That's like, in my mind, he's still the lightweight champion. It's weird. Because how many times have I said it so far on the show? Hopefully somebody's keeping count so that they can email me like, not once, but twice, but three times you've said that he's the champion. I'll clarify now. I know that he's not technically the champion. But that was a weird situation in Arizona. I'm just saying. The scale was changed. He was on weight. by I, I got several... Eyewitness accounts that he was on weight before he went to bed the night before the fights. And then suddenly in the morning, apparently they didn't tell his team. That t- That part I'm not too clear on. But it seemed like there was a little bit of tomfoolery there. I would have appealed it to the commission personally. I don't know what ended up happening. but Might not be champion in name, but uh, he's the champion in our hearts and in our minds, I believe. So we'll go to him right now. Charles Dobronk's Bronx Oliveira on the TSN MMA show. He is still the lightweight champion of the world in the mind and hearts of many mixed martial arts fans. The champion has a name, and it is Charles Oliveira. Charles, thank you for joining me. Now, when I when I say your name like that, Charles, that's the way that your fans pronounce it. But I saw the the highlight of you beating Justin Gaethje, where the announcers going, "Charles, Charles." When you see that clip, how does it make you feel?
2: you know it feels amazing you know I, I always dreamed about that about people knowing me and chanting my name so it feels great and I just thank God for it
0: you were hoping to be in Abu Dhabi about 20 days before the fight but you're still in Brazil uh, why are you not yet in Abu Dhabi chegou domingo né?
2: Yeah, I'll travel on Sunday. Actually, I'll be there by Sunday.
0: When you fight, it'll be 6 p.m. in Brazil. Are you hoping to just stay on Brazil time when you're in Abu Dhabi so that you're acclimatized when you do enter the cage?
3: percent <inaudible>
2: Um, actually, I don't know yet. You know, everyone knows I usually don't like to travel a long time before my fight. I, I usually travel on fight because I don't like to be away from my daughter that long. Uh, but this time, you know, I want to have time to really get acclimated, you know, get to see the weather and time zones and how my body's going to react to that. So we'll have 15, 17 days to get ready and just come in on Saturday ready for a war.
0: I've heard you mention in an interview that you felt the Arizona Commission we're doing everything in their power to make sure that you missed weight against Justin Gates who's from Arizona. Was there any hesitation taking this fight at UFC 280 uh, in an Islamic region like the United Arab Emirates against an Islamic fighter?
3: Abu mm-hmm. Dhabi.
2: Actually, I don't think we have to think about that. You know, if something happens again, then UFC needs to do something because then I'm the target. You know, um, but. Because people don't see, it's not just about you know. It's my whole story. It's my legacy. It's everything that I've built. Um, but I don't. I'm not thinking about that. I don't. Don't think we should think about that moving forward. You know, i That's all behind us. We just need to focus on what's ahead.
0: I actually think a, a big part of your legacy is how you handled Arizona. Uh, I think that the way that you responded to that kind of adversity will be a bigger part of your legacy than if things went according to normal. Do you agree with that at all? <laughs>
3: a cabeça do campeão mostrando que o verdadeiro campeão tem nome, Charles Oliveira nada vai mudar.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know, that fight says a lot, you know. It's everyone was questioning how I would carry myself, how I would handle it and, you know, I showed them, you know. It's just I just showed them that the champion has a name and it's Charles Oliveira.
0: One fight that we never got a chance to see was Tony Ferguson against Khabib. It fell through four times. Everybody wanted to see this fight because they knew Khabib was going to take Tony down. And Tony was going to embrace the takedown. He had a lot of weapons off his back. Now you have proven to have the most weapons off of your back. You have the most finishes in UFC history. Is you versus Islam Makachev the, the best or the closest thing we're going to get to that kind of a matchup where you will embrace the takedown and use your weapons uh, to, to stifle that kind of an uh, attack like Islam has and like Habib would have had? Uh, I think it's
3: different I think it's different styles. different styles, different, times, different moments.
2: Mm-hmm. You know they're they're all great names, you know. But I think we're all different. You know, we're all unique. Um, we're talking about different ages, different times, and different stories. So it's it's different.
0: In my opinion, if you get the win at UFC 280, your coach Diego Lima is the coach of the year. We just saw Willie Cat get a big win. Uh, what is it about your relationship with him that that really made things click for you in mixed martial arts? Because you he became your coach, I believe, in 2016. And since then, of course, you had a little bit of turbulence early in the relationship with Diego, and then you've just been on a winning streak. What is it about his coaching style that has resonated so much with you?
3: um Diego deserves all the respect.
2: You know, he he's not focused on making money, he's focused on his athletes and their happiness, you know, so he deserves everything, and he deserves to be named the coach of the year for everything that he has done, not just for me, but for everyone, for for our whole team, as you guys are seeing, you know, this is a huge team, and he deserves, you know, he's part of the legacy, so he totally deserves to be the coach of the year. And
0: at the time of this recording, there's an, an unsettled election in Brazil. Now, you've been on both sides of the enormous wealth gap that there is in Brazil, uh, you've seen both sides. What do you think can happen to to help Brazil overcome this? I don't know much about Brazilian politics. My grandmother was born in Brazil. But outside of that, I don't have as much of a connection, of, of course, as you do.
2: You know, I don't really like to talk politics. You know, all I can say is I hope the Brazilian people vote with conscience, you know, not think about just money, but just think about the overall state of the country.
0: I get the sense that it's very important to you to stay true to your roots. That if you're supposed to wake up at 5 a.m. to train, you're going to do whatever it takes to be the best in the sport. Do you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor, the the different material things that you've been able to uh, to to buy during your career, or are you waiting until your career is over to really fully get to enjoy those things, and and you just try to stay as grounded as possible in your career?
3: Eu estou aproveitando tudo que vem acontecendo na minha vida, eu venho crescendo e evoluindo todas as vezes, mas eu não abandono meu treino, eu continuo focado, porque eu tenho certeza que tudo isso que está vindo agora é porque o Sérgio Oliveira Ribeiro é o campeão. Um,
2: you know, you need to seize the moment. You know, I've always. People have called me crazy because I like to live intensely. Um, I like to enjoy everything that I'm doing in the moment. Um, and a lot of champions told me when I became a champion to watch out because it can all go away. Um, but you know, I just keep my focus and and enjoy everything I have, but also keep putting work. You know, it's about that balance.
0: Well, Carol, thank you very much for uh, doing the translation. Uh, Charlize, always appreciate your time. Obrigado, and best of luck at UFC 280.
3: Thank you, bro. Thank you. Appreciate
0: you. Islam Makhachev will head to Abu Dhabi for a shot at the vacant lightweight championship against Charles Oliveira. And, and I say that with a bit of hesitancy, because a lot of people still kind of consider Charles Oliveira to be the true champion of the division. What are your thoughts? Do you still believe that Charles Oliveira is just the uncrowned champion of the division?
4: Please, man, can you speak slowly? My English not very well.
0: <laughs> I'm doing my best. I speak Hard to very quickly. understand you. <laughs> so Charles Oliveira, right now the championship is vacant. Uh, there's no champion but a lot mm-hmm. of people still believe charles Oliveira is the true champion of the division do you feel the same way
4: uh, yeah he's a champion but he have to show all these uh, fighters you no know, good example because he have to cut weight he have to show 150 fight that's why i i still thinking he's champion he beat everyone
0: I feel like you are the worst matchup for him in the lightweight division, but I also feel like he might be the worst matchup for you in the division. Do you feel the same way?
4: I'm worse match for the everyone because all these guys have problem with the wrestling. Like most most guy in my division don't have good, good wrestling skills, and uh, for me, I'm not like thinking it's gonna be like easy fight for me. I preparing for. Hard 5 I preparing preparing for the five rounds doesn't matter where it's going it's going to be like grappling striking or wrestling match I'm going to be
0: ready everywhere Do you feel like there's somebody in the division who is a worse matchup for you than he is
4: uh, I never think like this some someone's going to be worse match I just believe my skills you know
0: one man who's going to be fighting for the Bellator Lightweight Championship is Uzman Nurmagomedov, who is very similar in height and and range to Charles. Did he help you a lot in terms of your training for this event? Honestly,
4: he helped me a lot. We did many, many rounds in the cage, and I have a couple more guys like similar, like Charles Oliveira. I, honestly, I have you know, great sparring partners in this camp.
0: I saw that on the Anatomy of a Fighter a documentary that Will Harris did. He went to Dubai. It looks like everybody's working so hard all the time. Does it become fun because, to have so much competition? Because we
4: have, you know, no crazy coach Habib right now with us. He push, like, he push too much. Even today, you know, when I have 10 days before the fight, he push us, like, because because this guy has good experience in this sport. He gives good energy. In, in the team, you know. Does it become everybody, fun? everybody ready to the fight tomorrow? You know, doesn't matter <laughs> for the belt for how many rounds because last last couple of months everybody training so hard.
0: I apologize, I keep interrupting you. Uh, my my main question is though, because it's so hard and because the competition is so fierce all the time, does it become fun to just have all of? these these really high-level guys push each other all the time. I'm sure at the beginning it's probably very hard, but once you become adjusted to it, does it become fun to, to have people push you to your limits? Mm,
4: this is not fun, you know, when somebody, like, punch you in the cage, like when you have... Because I always did the sparring with other opponents. I always, after second round, I changed the opponents. Mm uh because you know because all, all these guys waiting were the rest and after when i did some two rounds with other guys new guys come to the cage you know they they all, all all these guys push me so hard and you know we help each other
0: if you had to go three rounds in practice and it's a different person for all three rounds What's the toughest three rounds that you could have? Who are those three that would push you the absolute hardest?
4: Uh, we have a couple guys here. Usman give me always, like, not easy rounds. We have Sharip Zainukov. We have other guys. His name Amar. You know, we, we can watch all these guys fight the... Like have good good records in MMA and uh, really 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 good fighters, but no no many people know these guys, but they're so tough.
0: I feel like we'll know them one day. True. Yeah,
4: one day everybody's gonna know about these
0: guys. I don't know if Habib has told you this, but is he more nervous for your fights than he was for his own? Again, please. I don't know if Habib has has mentioned this to you, but do you feel like he's more nervous when you fight than when he was Sense. fighting?
4: Yeah. yeah, I think I think so because he's like nervous too much always. And the, when fight is beginning, he when we when we I I I was cornered with him with when Tagir's fight in the UFC. He when he do, doesn't listen to us, he goes so crazy, you know. You'll so be listening to he, <laughs> he nourished too much, you know because he know because we're not just teammates, he sit there, he know his brother fight there.
0: you're somebody who, if you look at the statistics in the u f c you barely ever get hit, like it's less than most heavyweights and it's really quite an unbelievable amount that you're able to evade getting hit. What is your secret? How are you able to evade and be such a good defensive fighter?
4: I didn't understand that.
0: Like if you look at your statistics, you barely ever get hit by your opponents. Like It's a very low number mm-hmm. per, mi- per 15 minutes that you're actually taking any damage. What's the key to your mm-hmm. ability to be so, such a good defensive fighter?
4: You know, after when I retired, I, wanted, I want to, like, after this sport, I want a good career. That's why I don't miss too much punch. And I, because I I choose easy way always. I know my wrestling skills better than all these fighters in my division. And I just take them down, hold them there. This is easy way, you know.
0: I saw Javier Mendez say that to you during Anatomy of a Fighter. He said... You know, we know what you're great at. Don't you? Don't need to do anything aside from what your is going to be the easiest way for you to win. Do you feel like a lot of fighters don't follow that advice and that they try to do more than they need to to win in a fight?
4: In some fighters, yes. I saw some like fighters like, honestly, last Charles, the who who beat Charles last time, Gagey, he always try to all this. I was watch this fight. He all all this fight. He tried to knock him out. You know, he tried to land that hard punch always. That's why he's tired so fast. I think this is big mistake when you always go to the cage and try to land that some hard punch. Everybody gonna tired if you gonna like try to punch him hard.
0: One thing I thought Charles did really well in that fight was when he was hurt, he would go to his back and Justin was not willing to follow him there. If that happens in your fight, you're going to be right there on the ground on top of him, right? I mean, that's what gives you such an advantage. Oh, of course, I'm
4: going to smash him there. I'm going to smash him there, you know, crush him there because this is this is big mistake when you knock him knock him down. You You have to finish him there, you know. Keep punching and you have to show, like, Ground and pound because there's all these guys scared to go to the ground with him. That's why this is big mistake for the Dustin probably just engaged. They did some mistake, same mistake.
0: Now you have one professional loss. Do you ever go back and watch that fight? Do Do you know what you did wrong in that? I mean, it was so long ago that I barely remember it. But do you remember remember what you did wrong in that fight?
4: That moment, I just thinking nobody can stop me, and I always when fight is beginning try to push my opponents, try to go always forward, landing some hard punch, and but this is MMA small gloves, you know. I learned a lot after this fight.
0: Yeah, do you think that was the the best thing that could have happened to you at that stage? The good teachable moment that you're you're not necessarily invisible and it, it allowed you to become a better defensive fighter?
4: But I, I learned a lot from this fight, but I don't want to learn like this, you know. I don't want to be, <laughs> you know. Now, after this fight, I just, you know, start slowly my fight like try to uh, feel the distance, all these things. But before I just, when they say start, I just go forward, try to push them, take them down, just, you know, don't think about the plan.
0: Well, that was seven years ago. You're on a roll right now, 10 in a row, and you're going to be facing Charles Oliveira in the main event of UFC 280. Always love watching you do your thing. Uh, Appreciate your time and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, man. Happy to catch up with the Bantamweight champion of the world, Aljamain Sterling, off of his open workout on Long Island. Good turnout today for the Funkmaster? Great
5: turnout. A lot of support from the Long Island fans and uh, the MMA enthusiasts out there.
0: Is that a Ray Longo shirt you're sporting?
5: No, it looks like his forehead, right? No, it's actually um, uh, Abraham Lincoln's head with a bandana.
0: (laughs) All right, well, I mean, let Coach Longo know that I, I think that he's a presidential individual uh, with the comparison there. So I watch a lot of these training camp videos uh, when I'm preparing for my interviews. And I've got to say, yours are the best that I've seen. You do a great job explaining to people exactly what's going on in layman's serves rather than just showing them and expecting them to know it for themselves.
5: I appreciate that. Um, I got to give some credit to the camera guy. Uh, <laughs> Jake does a good job with it and um, making sure that we – actually get those details in there so i'm, I'm glad it's actually catching on and people are, are taking a liking to it
0: my favorite part was uh, you were grappling with both dennis and um with and you were kind of explaining what you were doing like move by you know i guess yeah. piece by piece And it was just really informative to watch how you were setting things up um and and just kind of getting to learn i guess all the mechanisms of that
5: as, as like i said that's good to hear um So I'm hoping that it's educating the crowd a little bit and if they're understanding what's actually happening so that maybe it makes it a little bit easier to understand or recognize some of the things that are happening in a fight.
0: In your last fight against Piotr Jan, you were going into that fight with a real chip on your shoulder, something to prove. He was a big favorite. You wanted to prove that you were the better man and that it was your worst night the first time around. Going into this fight against TJ Dillashaw, what is the purpose? Like, What is driving you in this fight? Aside from, of course, the obvious defending your title for the first time.
5: Uh well it'll be
0: my second time Second defense. second time, right. My my mistake. <laughs> second time. Caught myself but, um, as I said it.
5: The uh I guess the driving factor in this is history. I mean, I didn't even realize that we were tied for most band and weight wins and they didn't even count my one win against Burrell because it was a catch weight at one forty that they decided to change during fight week. So this one is gonna be one of those um i I think it's just gonna be monumental for the the division and just put a history books you know so whoever comes out on on top of this, I think you can make the argument for one of the greatest band weights of all time kind of thing even though I, I i think that's kind of a weird thing to look at because I think Dominic cruz or his w e c fights you have to count those the same way that u f c recognizes and honors the strike force wins when they count u f c wins for those guys who came over from strike force so if you count Cruz, I think he's one of those guys that's going to be hard to beat, especially with such a talented division like this. Um, so for this, my motivation is just proving that hard work beats cutting corners. And I think for me, that's that's the main motto going into this.
0: Well, you mentioned that. I mean, TJ lost the belt of his own volition, but he never lost it in the cage. Does that mean something to you as well? I mean, he lost it, of course, to Cruz the first time around, but when he was the defending champion, he lost it because he was stripped of the title.
5: yeah. And then he also got sent to the Neptunes by Sayudo when he went down to one twenty five. So uh this would be I guess people are kinda of looking at this as again another lineal fight to see who is the real champion, I guess. That's how some people are pegging it. I don't peg it as that. The guy he lost, um, whether it was on his own accord or not. That's like that doesn't really matter to me, I guess. So I'm just going out there. just got to do what I got to do, what I normally do. And I like to think that that's going to be more than enough to get the job done on the night. So I'm excited. I think the fans are in for a good show. And um, TJ's going to bring it. I'm going to bring it. And I, I think the fans are going to win in this one.
0: Well, I think it's consensus that your performance against Corey Sanhagen was better than TJ's. But were you impressed with what TJ was able to do with so much time off against a guy as good as Corey Sanhagen? <laughs>
5: Impressed?
0: Um, I mean, he won. I mean, good
5: for him. But I don't know if I would use the words impressed. I mean, two years off, he got the two surgeries. He probably injected himself with a bunch of other stuff to help with his recovery and things like that, which in a situation like that, I don't necessarily blame anyone who would take something to make sure their longevity of life outside of fighting will be healthy. Um, But when you're doing it in competition to try to get an advantage, which he has been doing for years. Um, that's another story. Uh, but going back to him winning, I thought it was a competitive fight. I thought Sanhagen won the fight. I thought TJ might have won the competition. I can, I can get it and I can see it. But uh, other than that, I thought it was a relatively close fight for both guys. You know, so fun fight. And I don't think it really gave us a lot of, I don't think it really answered a ton of questions, if that makes sense. You know, so um, I guess we'll, we'll get those questions answered on October 22nd when he actually steps in there with someone who's been doing this more consistently, and even though I've been out for a little bit. But I think um, me being around for a while compared to those
0: other guys, I think it's going to be a little bit of a different type of um, challenge for him. How did you feel the day after your win over Piotr on your second win? I mean, that was the ultimate I told you so moment. And you probably got to really celebrate that given everything that you, you had gone through leading up to that fight.
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I try to explain this to people. I don't drink after fights, especially after getting punched in the head a lot. I don't drink after fights. When I fought Sanhagen, I drank a lot because <laughs> that was a quick one. I didn't get hit at all. So I, I try to be very like conscious of consuming alcohol after having a fist fight and actually taking a lot of damage. You know, I just don't know what's going on up there. So I don't want to risk any long-term damages by getting like ridiculously drunk. So when people were criticizing me. I'm like, dude, I wasn't even drinking the night of the fight. I I felt like I lost. Um, I felt like it was kind of a no contest and I had an opportunity to do it again. And um, winning the second time, you know, it just felt more, I guess, right. And uh, I definitely celebrated my ass off for that one Um, the next day. You know, I had a lot of friends and family that flew out from, from all over to Jacksonville. People I haven't seen in so long. So it was a great time. Good opportunity to unwind after 13 long months of just hearing people talk nonsense. You know, you would think that these people were actual athletes or fighters themselves the way they was talking. You know, so to to go out there and just silence the noise, so to speak, it was huge for me.
0: Athletes are more humble than the general public, I'd say. I, so I, I actually refute what you said. I think that these, they know that they're not athletes and that's why they have the big notes.
5: Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Or people, they quarterback from their their chairs and they say, yeah, I would have done this. I would have done that. I'm like, yeah, really? Because if you would have, you would have been in this position, but apparently you're not. So let the pros do it and you just judge from the side. And uh, you can have your opinions. I mean, you pay your money to watch, right? So have your opinions. But I think when people get a little crazy with it, that's where it's kind of like crossing the line a little bit. But um, other than that, I think that's what kind of makes it fun. There's the people having an opinion and being able to say what they want to say albeit it's not always right, usually completely wrong, but I guess that's what makes the, the sport a little bit more fun.
0: How do you stop the doubt from creeping in leading up to that second fight? I mean, I imagine getting overwhelmed with people and their opinions over time probably is exhausting, but is there just a, a tipping point where you say, this all has to just go in the rearview mirror, it's just noise and I've got to move forward? Is that how you're able to stop believing what people are saying, really? Because if enough people say something, sometimes you start to have doubts and wonder if that kind of thing is true.
5: Yeah, we were actually just talking about this at the open workout. Um, I told people, like, for 13 months, they asked me about doubt, and I said, yeah, I, I always have doubt. You know, you you always envision your opponent beating you, but I think when you can envision how you can troubleshoot those situations, how do you see yourself winning, that's how you overcome that with the work that you put in, making yourself more confident leading up to the fight. And right now, this is the most confident I've, I think I've ever been. I mean, I was super confident going into the second fight with Jan, um, especially knowing that. I was going to eat properly the the day of the fight and not have that stupid excuse that i should have known better about and um that's exactly what happened you know so i i think you you're gonna have those those doubts and it's up to you how you channel that energy and i think i did a pretty good job of that and just overall in general i think i do a pretty good job of that because at the end of the day, we all, we're all we all human. We all think someone else might be doing something better than us, so we might need an edge. Like, how can we be better? How can we prepare ourselves to get an advantage? So that stuff is always going to happen, and I think it's how you control your mind. Your mind's got to be what Conor McGregor has said in the past. you got to have a bulletproof mind, you know? And I think that's a, a true s- statement, um, not just someone just talking and, and saying it. you got to actually go out there and put it to to work. And I think when the work
0: matches that that belief i think you have a perfect storm for just success i noticed from watching your camp videos you watch a lot of tape both of yourself and of your opponent is it difficult to get a read on where tj dillashaw is at right now given that he's only fought once in maybe the last three years i would say so um if i'm being honest i mean his last fight before that he got knocked
5: out in a minute you know i've been there before being knocked out within a minute as well with maul and Marais. I bounced back, and I think people have seen where I'm at now and um, where Marlon is at. And now you got TJ, who he was knocked out then two years suspension. Now he came back. He beat Sanhagen, who was a very tough dude um, in a very close fight. So, uh, yeah, I don't really know where he's at. I can only look at that. Sanhagen and I, we have completely different frames. Our styles are super different. He's more of a kickboxer. I think TJ likes that better versus a guy who could come in and out grapple him. I don't think he's ever fought anyone who could do what I can do. And going to be bigger, stronger. Uh, We might be around the same speed, but I think I'm going to be a little bit more explosive than he is. And I think the kickboxing, I got the advantages in terms of the length and the height. Uh, I think I got more ways to win than he does. He needs, I feel like he feels like his best way of winning is probably trying to do the same thing as Yanni. He needs a knockout, you know, and um, I like to think I'm really, really hard to hit. So hopefully I can keep that going on October 22nd and it'll be another good night for the funk.
0: How much longer do you think it will be before Marab has a very difficult decision to make? Now, I don't think the two of you will fight or probably should fight. I I think that you guys have a real true brotherhood and the amount of work that you've done with with one another to to sharpen each other's games. To me, I think that it would be a disservice to both of you to put you in that position. Uh, And I think people probably ask you about it all the time. but. Marab's talked about moving down to flyweight. Do you think there's a point in time where he's beaten all... He's basically been the gatekeeper of the division, beating all of these other guys that are, are title challengers, potentially, where maybe it's time for him to make the, the move down to 125 uh, if he's able to do it in a healthy fashion?
5: Uh, yeah, I agree with that. But I also need to win my fight on October 22nd first. If I win my fight, then we have a good situation on our hands, a good problem to figure out. And... Um, uh that's kind of the way I'm looking at this right now. I mean, I think he could make flyweight. It would be like me making weight Um but it sucks. I would never want him to have to do that. So we'll see what happens with my fight. If I lose knocking wood, you know, the door's wide open for him and then he could go challenge for the belt. And um we'll have another chance of getting a fourth champion from the Long Island. So um it's a good problem to have. You know, we don't need to fight each other. We just could just take turns like the uh, Double Dragons, back-to-back, just kicking ass, you know? So <laughs> that's the way
0: I kind of look at that. I like that mentality. It puts you guys in a bad spot. Even asking uh, that, you know, the very question, I think it just, it just creates awkwardness. Like I saw it happen with Ralphion Stotts and Sergio Pettis, like in, in, over in Bellator. Um, and I know Ralphion's kind of gone to a different camp now, but at the same time, like, I'm sure going into the gym, you don't want to have that uh, in your mind, especially with the amount of work that you do with Marab on a day-to-day basis and have been doing for, what, five, six years? Yeah, and
5: Marab wants to fight till he's like fifty. I don't want to fight for that long, so <laughs> I'm more than happy to either go up a weight class and just have some fun fights um, in the next in a couple of fights, maybe in a, a year or two or two, and from there, I'll just figure it out. You know, um, I think I've been around the sport long enough, done a lot of good things. I think I built my name. I think there's a lot of fun fights to be had for for myself. So there's opportunity for myself as well. And um, we'll just have to see what's the best option in terms of what the UFC wants to do, what we think we should do, and what gives Murad the best chance to challenge for a world title. And uh, I want to be there for him the same way he was there for me in my preparation for both Jan's, both Yan fights and this one with TJ Delshaw as well.
0: And finally, when are you departing for Abu Dhabi? And are you planning on just staying on East Coast time? Uh, because basically you'll be fighting at like 4.30 in the afternoon.
5: Uh, from what I understand, we're fighting at night and it's going to be daytime here in the States. No, that's what I mean. You'll be what like,
0: it'll be like, it'll be like 4.30 Eastern time, but like, you'll, it'll be okay. whatever, 11.30 yeah. in in Abu Dhabi.
5: Yeah, yeah. So I'll be fighting at nighttime over there, um, which is better for me. And I don't have to fight in no awkward hours <laughs> of the day, you know, and then trying to wake up in the middle of the night, trying to get some training in to acclimate to that time, that time difference. Um, but we leave Saturday. Uh, we're going to be there for two weeks. I'll probably hang out there till about the 26th or 27th. Just check out the the, the, the country since I'm already going to be on that side of the world. And then come back, help Dennis Bazukia for his fight in November. And I think we got Favola. So if I could jump in and help him with any rounds, like grappling or whatever, um, that would be good to just be around with the boys for a little bit before I head back to Vegas.
0: All right now, Joe, always a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, like I said, I really recommend your camp videos. I think that uh, they, they really are a fresh look at what a lot of other fighters are trying to do. I think you do it the right way. Uh, so thank you very much for your time and uh, best of luck at UFC 280.
5: You got, thank you. You got Jake over here flexing after hearing that.
0: <laughs> it's Alexa Grasso's first UFC main event this weekend, taking on Viviane Araujo. Very interesting matchup. Because I look at your history and her history, and it seems like both of you are kind of a bad matchup for each other. She's had a lot of problems with uh, quick boxing, uh, striking-style fighters that get in and out quickly. And you've had some problems with some women that have a lot of physicality and like to go for takedowns and utilize that part of their game. So do you think that that's what this matchup is? It's whoever is able to implement their game plan best is going to win?
6: Honestly, I think that the matchmakers are doing a great job. You know, these are the kind of fights that are most interesting because of actually that, you know, our styles. It's a striker, maybe against a wrestler. So it's a it's a nice match for for both of us. I've been improving my jujitsu game and I know that she's joining her hands, too. So it's going to be awesome.
0: Well, you say striker maybe, and what I pick up from that is you just got your first submission win. I saw Irina Aldana's <laughs> last performance, your training partner, and she's throwing up all kinds of submissions. So is that what you guys are working on most in the gym? Is You you know that it's almost muscle memory for you at this point with striking. The grappling is, is seemingly a big priority for you in your camp.
6: Yeah, as you know... I do a lot of jits in my gym. It just I in my fights, I have been not able to show that last only until these three last fights. I've shown a lot of improvements. So yeah, you know, I I know myself as a striker too, but I would like to be also be known as a you know, well-rounded athlete too.
0: So that's it, my goal. <laughs> how long did it take for you to fall in love with that part of the game? You know, a lot of people that start off with a, a certain discipline, whether it's striking or grappling, have a lot of problems adapting to the opposite side, to the grappling in the case of a striker or the striking in the case of a grappler. And it takes a while for them to really get into a rhythm and and want to make that a a big part of their training. So how long did it take you, would you say, to really embrace grappling?
6: Well... I know, it's actually weird because I started competing in jiu tournaments. You know, I, I did a lot of Jiu-Jitsu tournaments. It's just that when I learned better my boxing skills and my Muay Thai, I fell in love with that and I just got obsessed, you know, training that part. That maybe that's that's why it was kind of a little um, late to show one in, in my fights, but it's now matching. Now it's matching right now. <laughs>
0: Have they told you that this is the number one contender's bout? Because there's not really a whole lot of people in line right now for the flyweight championship.
6: Well, I have no idea, honestly, because we were not supposed to be the main event, you know? Uh, there was another fight that got canceled and we were offered. So, you know, at last at last moment and we were like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And I think that's a good opportunity for both of us fighting to five round. It's another story. It's a different challenge. It's a different training. It's a different, you know, mel- mental toughness that you need. So whatever the matchmaker and the UFC chooses, we will be ready. And this is an amazing challenge before of that.
0: At this time next year, do we have two Mexican flyweight champions? How? What? Do we have two Mexican flyweight champions at this time next year? You got Moreno competing for the belt in January, and of course yourself, hopefully sometime next year, getting a shot at the title if things go your way.
6: You know, that will be a dream come true. Moreno is a big inspiration for me, and I guess that for a lot of Mexican people. In any, you know, any sport and anything they do, he's a big inspiration. And of course, that will be a dream come true.
0: And we also can't forget Irene. She looked fantastic in her last fight, and again, not a whole lot of contenders right now at 135 pounds.
6: I think she's next. I truly believe that Irene earns and, and earned, it, you know, the the title shot opportunity because she's a great athlete. She's so strong. She has shown also that she's improving a lot, and she's super aggressive. I'm and I'm proud to be her her teammate.
0: Have you always gone by Alexa? I I noticed your name is Karen, your first name, and uh, I guess the full name is Karen Alexa Grasso Montes. So how did you settle on Alexa Grasso? Is that just always what you've been addressed as?
6: No, my family calls me Karen. <laughs> I'm Karen in my family, but you know, for fighting and all that things, I I just. Use Alexa Grasso.
0: <laughs> you're kind of stuck because people use the word Karen with a bad connotation these days. And the name Alexa calls speakers. Like you say Alexa and speakers <laughs> start talking to you. So you're kind of, either way, you've got something going against you with your first name.
6: I love my name. You know, I, I, I don't care about the other meanings that people are giving them. I'm, I love my both names. <laughs>
0: Well, I, of course, our names are are all we have at the end of the day, right? I'm not trying to I'm not trying to do uh to speak ill of your names. I think they're both great names. Um, so in terms of when you look at this matchup, Viviane, what do you think is her best trait? What what does she do best? Um, if you were to break down her game.
6: Well, being honest, you know she's the toughest opponent I I prepare for she's aggressive she has good hands she has an amazing takedowns in jujitsu game so it is a nice matchup for me it's a great challenge but i also think that you know preparing for tatiana and for carla helped me a lot to you know to be prepared for what's coming also you know i know like she's training her hands but i also saw that the first round she's super aggressive but you know after that she's you know kind of um like, not too much speed, not too much aggressive. So I think that the first round is going to be the hardest one.
0: Having fought at strawweight before, how grateful are you to be in this flyweight division during fight week? Because I'm sure that the weight cut for you was probably uh, something that, w- that weighed a lot on your mind when you were at strawweight. And I probably still it does at flyweight, but I would imagine less so.
6: Well, I started when I was 19 and into fighting. So I was a lot smaller you know my muscles were just starting to grow but every fight camp your body changes every fight camp your body gets stronger and bigger so also you know as a human and as a as a woman your body change at some age and that happened to me I, I I my muscles just grew a lot I more I got more mature and I think there was a great decision to change to flyweight I'm I'm so happy, you know, with this new weight class. Of course, you know, weight cuts are never like, oh, I love to wake, <laughs> I love the weight cut, but it's a lot, um, uh, I have my mind busier in other things just than thinking, oh, I have another pound and another pound, just, you know, keep training and the weight is losing smoothly.
0: And your opponent has fought in several weight classes. She was the strawweight champion, then got a short-notice assignment at bantamweight and got a KO as a bantamweight in the UFC in her first fight and now has settled into the flyweight division. Do you think she's going to have a size advantage over you or do you guys think you're probably around the same size? I don't know if you've seen her in person yet.
6: I think we're kind of the same size. You know, it's going to be a... You know, I also saw the stats. We are pretty similar in all areas, in like... Landed per minute, you know, absorb, you know, all those kind of things. It, it's amazing also, like I said, it's great to to be facing an opponent like her, like it's another girl in another part of the world doing the same thing as me, training as hard as me. So we're, we're pretty similar, like instead in, in, you know, size and weight, I think. I know that she doesn't cut too much, so it's going to be pretty similar.
0: And how grateful are you to have the opportunity to be in the main event? You're, you've, I'm sure you've taken a, a bunch of posters. If they've offered you posters, I'm sure you've got a lot of those going home to your family.
6: Yes, you know I've been in a main event a few times, like six times before, so uh, I know how how the process is. How the process is, I've been pretty near for the uh, main people, you know that that has in the cards. So I know. I learned it a lot from that. I learned it a lot from that. And of course, I have all those posters in my living room. And this one will be the biggest one and the most important.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you only get one first-name event in the UFC. And uh, this is it. It's this Saturday, yourself taking on Viviane Ararujo. Big stakes in the women's flyweight division. And I wish you all the best of luck.
6: Thank you so much.
0: Happy to be joined by Brandon Royval, who will be taking on Askar Askarov this Saturday. Now, you just wrapped up with Ariel Hawani before me, and he missed a question that I think is an obvious one, given your shirt. You're wearing an NWO shirt. Who is Brandon Royval's NWO of action fighters? I mean, you're one of the top action fighters in the UFC. You're always balls to the wall. You're always looking for the kill. If you're going to put together five five guys, yourself included, so four others that are going to join the Brandon Royval New World Order, who are they?
7: Oh, Hollywood, Hollywood Hogan for sure. No, no, it's got to be go UFC X-
0: guys, like or MMA guys, like all action fighters. I'm not interested in pro wrestlers. We're talking about the real deal.
7: Okay, okay, all action fighters that fight like me. Um, let's go. Uh, damn, that's a good question, man. Uh, who's most? Let's go. 35. I like John. My boy Jonathan Martinez is about to put on a show, man, and he's he's fun to watch. I, I would love to have him there um let's go nate diaz because he's one of my favorites too uh action fi- charles Oliveira, charles Oliveira, man that's a great action fighter what are we at for
0: yeah we're at four with um, yourself included we need one more for oh justin gagey man that'd be so fun i was gonna say you were on the arizona card were you not that was the last time i spoke to you yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's that's the obvious answer those two guys right they headlined that card yeah, yeah,
7: Charles there and Justin Gaethje for everything, right? That, those dudes, uh, they bring it, man. And those two are, are so fun. That was such a fun fight to watch.
0: And there are a couple of those guys in your. I mean, you could probably do five in just your division. You got yourself, you got Brandon Moreno, yeah, Pantoja, yeah. Pantoja, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to think. No. There's got to be two others. Tim Elliott. Oh,
7: Davison. Yeah, D- Davison. Tim, we could add Tim Elliott to that too, man. Davison's fun though. Yeah, Davison. Yeah, yeah. yeah those are all. Those are all fun. That's a fun ass group right there. Yeah. That's a, the top five is just fun, you know. Like uh, the top five of our division. Maybe we'll skip Askarov. I was going to say, the <laughs> one I'm name I'm not mentioning mentioned.
0: here, and you're not mentioning, is Askar Askarov, your, uh, your upcoming opponent, who's uh, a very, um, I guess, technical and methodical fighter. And not that you're not, but at the same time, very, very different uh, stark style contrast for this one.
7: Yeah, yeah, I think it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, completely different styles. Is like, uh, m- my game plan is to push the pace all the time, and his game plan is to slow down the fight. And it, it's one of those, like, uh, it's a controversial, like, who can implement who what you know and it, it, it is that though it is like just two different opposite fighters for sure
0: well i 'll bring out my uh, my inner coach here, which i 'm not really in, really have no credentials whatsoever in that uh, regard, but I feel like he 's not going to try to take you down in this fight. I think that attempting to take you down would put him in more trouble than if he stayed with you on the feet and just tried to keep you at range. Oh yeah
7: I know he's not going to be able to do that shit. He's for sure going to take down. We have the best we have the best strikers in our division. Uh let's say Kai Carr France and Moreno or whatever uh, that I, that I'm going against and they're shooting for their dear life first round. You know what I'm saying? And it's like he's going to sh- if he doesn't take try to take me down then it's early christmas baby. I'm going to go beat the shit out of him.
0: Well sorry I'm Panalaka. For some reason that's the vibe <laughs> I I get is that like I think you're you're equally dangerous on the feet or the ground. But I think that uh, if he takes you down, it's going to just be attack, attack, attack. And not that that's not what's going to take place on the feet. But I feel like at least on the feet, he can at least move.
7: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And it's like, um, I don't know, man. It, like I said, that would be great. If if he wants to strike with me, that would be like the best case scenario where it's like, all right, I could pick this dude apart, I could whoop his ass, and then I'll just have fun with it. Um, I would love that. I would love if he just decides to like take it apart on the feet. But uh, I highly doubt it. Like I said, we have the best... We have some of the best strikers in the division that I fought, and they all shoot. They're going to shoot for sure, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I couldn't imagine him being any different.
0: Well, he's certainly uh, one of the guys that makes it difficult to shoot on because you have so many weapons that you use um, in that regard. And, you know, it's funny. He's a guy that I think has a really, really high fight IQ, but in terms of his style, it's not the most judge-friendly. And, and you, you're a very judge-friendly fighter. So if this fight does go to a decision, I think a lot of people are writing off because you have so many finishes the the idea that you could win this fight by decision just by being busy
7: yeah yeah and like especially with the new like uh, judging system is like they're they're not really caring about control time as much as they used to um they're caring about attacking and, and who's planning on finishing it and that's like you know that's how i always judge the fight and like the fight anyways you know so uh yeah yeah so i mean i don't i don't ever like going to the judges i've never had good luck when it comes to the judges for the most part i've only won two decisions and uh and I don't ever want to go back to the judges' scorecard ever. I just want to go finish a fight and go home, you know?
0: Well, I don't I don't think people are going to uh, fight you on that one. I think that most people want to watch fighters uh, that have that sort of mentality. And the flyweight division, I mean, it, it's just such a frenetic pace that if you're good at finding openings like you are, you can have a lot of success. And, and of course, you have in the UFC.
7: Yeah, yeah. And that's what, like, I think that's my style in general is, like, I attack so hard on the feet that – I think it leaves people kind of shooting desperately, and that leads to, like, easy submissions or, like, the submission style. But it's just, like, I don't know. Those are all my favorite fighters. All my favorite fighters are, like, that, you know? It's, like, wherever wherever you are, you're in danger. And that, when I remember, like, when I started MMA, like, I remember thinking, like, I, I want people to pick their poison. I want people, if they want to strike with me, then I'm striking with them. And if they shoot on me, then it's, like, all right, I'm going to submit you you know and uh that's always been kind of my mentality i've lost decisions off fighting off my back and stuff so it's like i'm not necessarily just trying to play off my back with ass but uh i i do want him to feel like that i want him to be like all right wherever wherever he wants to fight is i'm comfortable with and i'm gonna attack him and i want to beat him there and that's always been like kind of my go-to
0: and that, I think that's what makes Charles Oliveira such a tough fighter. Uh, you know, we mentioned him before. is just wherever you go, you're in danger. And uh, I think that's yeah. always my favorite style of fight to watch because it just it makes the fight so much more exciting knowing that. And I, and I honestly think that Islam Makhachev is the worst matchup for him in the division, but that Charles is kind of the worst matchup for Islam as well, which is kind of weird. And I, I feel like the main event of the card you're on this Saturday is kind of the same. It's like Alexa Grosso. Her weakness has been kind of physical fighters that can take her down and, and hold her there. And Viviana Araujo's weakness has been fleet-footed, you know, strikers that can box and get in and out. And that's kind of what each of them are. And I think those, you know, that's what makes for really cool matchups.
7: Yeah, and I think that about myself and Askarov, too, is, like, he's one of my least favorite matchups in the whole entire division. But that being said is uh, I'm definitely one of the, the least favorable matchups in the division for him, too, is because I can attack him anywhere. I can beat him anywhere. And it's, like, one of those things that it's, like, you know— um, Uh, Like we we kind of like gnaw each other out in that sense of like and then also it's like that Islam Makashev and uh, and um, Charles Olivera fight. I I keep seeing like we're the mini version of it and it's like I kind of feel that way too is like uh, You know, we're the we're like the smaller version of the Islam Makashev versus Charles Olivera fight
0: I feel like Ascroft gets hit a little bit more than Islam and that's not an insult to him Islam gets hit like less than anybody else in the UFC but I also feel like Islam also looks for finishes more often than Askarov does. I, I feel like Askarov is more than happy to win a fight on the scorecards. Yeah,
7: yeah, for sure. And uh, like, like, and that's kind of what I'm thinking too, too. When it comes down to it, is like, you know, I'm always afraid to fight. I, I hate like, I, I love training. I love like, but like, fighting so scary to me sometimes. And it's just like, you know, I put so much importance in all this stuff that it just like it means so much to me that I think that's why it's scary. But it's like. When I think about the matchup, it's like, you know, if I'm if I'm scared of this fight, then he has to be terrified because it's like I have bad intentions when I get when I enter the cage. I have 100 percent bad intentions, finishing qualities. And it's like I could finish a fight from anywhere. I try to knock people out. I throw elbows. I throw knees. I, I throw head kicks, all the above. And it's like and then when it hits the ground, I try to break people's arms, choke them out, all the above, too. So it's like it's one of those things that it's like, you know, if I'm afraid, then he should be shitting bricks because I'm way more dangerous than he is.
0: Well, that's uh, interesting to me. I'll play armchair psychologist for a minute. So you're actually not afraid of the fight. You're afraid of the result. Like, that's what you fear going into a fight.
7: I'm just afraid of, like, you know, I, I put so much love and, like, you know, I put so much passion, love, and hard work into this sport that it's, like, you know, I put so much importance into all this that it's, like, this means the world to me, man. This this all means the world to me, man. Being, being a UFC fighter, being an MMA fighter, and it's just, like, having this lifestyle now is, like, it's the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me. And it's like, I just don't ever want to lose it. And it's like, I I don't know. It's like, I'm not necessarily afraid of like, like a fight. I've been fighting forever. I've been fighting since I was a little kid, man. I was fighting left and right, but it's just like, you know, it's just, this means so much to me. And, and that's what I care about is that this, this is my life. This is my passion. This is everything I've ever loved. And it's like, like, and I'm worried about losing that lifestyle, you know? And it's like, I don't ever want to do that.
0: Uh, given the way that you fight, I feel like it would it would take some pretty extreme circumstances for the UFC to release you. I right? like four or five losses in a row, right? But I mean, hey, you're also trying to win a championship here, and you're you're right at the top of the division.
7: Yeah, yeah, I'm so close to like so close to the bout. I'm so close to the title shot, and it's like I've never actually believed in myself as much as I have recently. That it's like I can't wait to go. I can't wait to just go out there, put a performance, show how dangerous I am, and show what I'm capable of, and then get to that point of like you know show the world man and show the world i feel like i I feel like i've been a i've been an underdog in every fight i've ever had pretty much like before the ufc when i was in the alfa in Combate, in the world series of fighting they always like had me as the underdog and it's just like i just always want to prove people wrong i want to go mess up some
0: parlays this week you know so why put some that stress on yourself like why I mean, I feel like you're you're so talented and gifted at what you do that if you took that stress away and just said, listen, I'm great at this, whatever happens, happens, but I know that I'm prepared, I feel like you'd put a little bit less pressure on yourself going into a fight like this and maybe fight better. I mean, Not that you're not going to fight well, but just having that in the back of your head at all time can probably be pretty crippling.
7: Yeah, yeah, no, I I always go through like, have you ever heard of this, like it's a psychology thing, but like the seven stages of grief or something like that? Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah yeah i feel like i go through that it's like you know like when i get a fight i'm like super scared nervous all the above and it's like then i go it's like oh this isn't even gonna happen you know and then like at the very end no matter what happens right before i enter that cage it's just like i accept that it's gonna be what it's gonna be and it's just like i don't care if i win lose or whatever it is all i know is i'm gonna go in there and give this dude how the whole entire time and like that's the mind state i carry and that's what i think in my head and it's like uh As nervous as I sound now or like whatever I put in my head now is I I know the moment that I walk into that cage, I'm not going to give a fuck what happens. And just I'm going to go and do me and I'm going to go give it my uh, give it 100 percent and go balls to the wall once that once that bell rings.
0: You also talk the way that you fight. You're just you're you're very fast paced and frenetic. I listen to interviews at one point five or one point seven five speed to prepare for things. And you're a tough guy to yeah, do. Yeah. Like, I was listening to some of your interviews that you did earlier, like, with James Lynch and uh, and and Alex Behun, and I had it at 1.75. I had to slow it down, which is admirable, I've got to say, because usually people don't talk at the speed that I speak at. So I guess we're kind of kindred spirits in that regard.
7: Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that, like, uh, it, it kind of hinders me in fights, too. But it's just everything I do is, like, kind of full force. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty rough and ragged and, like, you know, like like high pace with everything i do is like i I fight high pace i talk high pace um if you see me walking i'm like walking quick as shit it's everything i do has kind of always been like that it's a it's one of those things that i've always kind of been that way uh and i don't know it's something that i always have to remind myself too just hey slow yourself down and it's like when i get in these interviews you'll see me sometimes i'll be like all right, I need to pause. I'm doing too much right now. But yeah,
0: it's it's always been me, man.
7: That's always been who I was as a person. And, and what I've done is just everything I've done has been a high percentage, you know? I'm the same way. I usually attribute it to anxiety and caffeine, but hey, who knows? Uh... That's hilarious. Me too, me too, 100%. <laughs> I was telling my friend, I was like, uh, actually, Jonathan, because me and Jonathan, we, we trained we trained side by side for this fight, uh, which is great. And Jonathan, me and Jonathan, were doing the same workouts, all that. And it's like, I've never met, like, I I put a lot of hours into the sport and a lot of hours for training camps and stuff. like at least five hours a day, you know? And uh, Jonathan was doing it with me and uh, it was one of those things that I was like, uh, I was telling him, I was like, I I think I train this hard because I'm just such an anxious person that sometimes I'll sit at home trying to relax and it's like in the middle of relaxing, I'm like, I'm going on a run like I don't know what to do like uh, you know I'll freak myself out so it's like I think anxiety is probably like the number one reason why I've gotten so far in the sport
0: (laughs) probably why I like talking to you I think we have uh, we have that in common for sure Uh, now last question for you I know you've got more of these to do four fights in a row for Figueredo against Moreno we've got uh, championship uh, I guess out of the last five championship fights has been those guys and it's gonna be a fourth time in January as somebody who's in the division, do you, does that frustrate you, or do you like watching these guys because every time they come together, it seems to make magic?
7: Yeah, uh, both, actually. It's like, I like watching the fight. Their, their fourth time or whatever is just like, uh, like it's going to be a good fight. I'm going to buy it all the above, but it's just like, also, like, I'm over it. Like Let's just shake up the division a little bit. The champions fought Moreno four times in a row. Like That's, that's nuts, you know? And then Moreno... Uh had one fight in between, which i didn 't even think made sense for an interim title shot, to be honest, but it 's just like one of those like i 'm over it, I think uh pantoja's probably more over it than I am, but it 's just like i i, I don 't know man i i'm i 'm am a little bit over it and it's just like I want to see something shake up because it 's like i don't think either one of those guys are the best in the division right now
0: all right well i'm I'm interested to see who uh, ends up rising to the top of that division in the coming years it 's been such a fun one to watch uh and Speaking of fun ones to watch yourself, against Askar Askarov is this Saturday. Always appreciate your time, sir. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thank you very much for
7: EAP Glass, my sponsors, and uh, thank you for your time, man. I appreciate you.
0: About 35 minutes from where I sit right now, Cub Swanson became a Hall of Famer after defeating Duho Choi at the uh, now known as the Scotiabank Center and also knocked out Charles Oliveira about 10 years ago. But, I mean, who's counting? Cabba, nice seeing you. You've cut down to bantamweight. Uh, Co-main event yourself, Jonathan Martinez. I saw an interview with you, I guess, last year where you talked about the idea of moving down to bantamweight, but when did you really start getting serious about it?
8: Yeah, so, you know, I have a bunch of training partners that I train with that fight at 135, and I've helped them make the weight, and I've seen what it takes. And and, uh, when they're in their off-season, we're around the same size, and often they're bigger than me uh and i've just uh so i decided to to go to the pi during before international fight week i knew i was going to be out here for that for for the hall of fame induction so i spent uh almost a whole month starting to diet and get my body prepped and then they put me through all this testing and they said uh yeah you can make 135 it's it's not going to be easy but you can do it and i said all right um i'm looking for a new challenge in my life uh, I feel like I I was looking forward to suffering again and
0: and uh so here I am. So when I saw you at uh, Hall of Fame weekend uh, on the red carpet you had already started your diet. So what were you walking around at then and what are you entering fight week? What are you weighing right now? Uh I was about 160 at that time and
8: um I I just that's kind of what I would be when I'm like really in shape for 145 and uh yeah, I'm 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 a lot lighter now but uh Yeah, it just, uh, I I was wanted to feel good and give it like a fair shot. I didn't want to show up and go through the testing out of shape and then them say, no, you can't make it, because I would have known that that was, it was not going to work out.
0: Now, I'm not sure if you're still training with TJ Dillashaw, but we saw him move down to 125 pounds and just how hellacious that cut was for him. Uh, A lot of videos that, you know, that he posted from that fight week, did that give you any sort of hesitation when you were thinking of moving down after fighting at both 55 and 45 previously?
8: I thought about it briefly, but um, you know, I just feel like uh, the the I don't use the same uh, coach that he uses for for doing all that, and uh, they do a thing where you know they put on, you know, they try to like bulk up and then cut, and I just I'm not a at a place in my career where I want to do that. <laughs> I, I I've lift weights less than I used to. Um, I've hurt my back doing that, so. Uh, I feel like I like to do tons of cardio and so it made more sense to, to, to go down than to go up. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I did think about that, but yeah, everybody's body's different. And I just felt like with what I do, uh, and what my skill set is that I felt like 135 moving down was the way to go. And I knew I could do it.
0: What surprised you most about this process? Is there something that you, you wouldn't have guessed would help you with your diet that has ended up being a big key for you?
8: um you know i've been doing it's been four months so i've been doing all kinds of things uh i what's started me off is uh the the fasting i would eat two meals between like four hours in the day between like one and five o'clock uh i did that for a while and then i started getting back to three meals a day but just smaller meals so um just just changing it up and, and having fun with it kind of you know i've I didn't really know what to expect, so everything's new. Everything's a, a new challenge, but I, I've been enjoying it.
0: And what was the uh, decision to face Jonathan Martinez like? Was that just the first guy that was offered to at 35? Is he an opponent that you think you, you match up pretty well against?
8: No, actually, uh, they offered me a handful of names, and I I just listed them in, in kind of, like, order that I thought would, would be exciting fights and, um, you know, like... You want you don't want a guy that's gonna just try to, you know, like lay on you and not fight, um, and especially not knowing how my body's gonna bounce back from the weight cut. So um, I I kind of put a list in order. I don't even remember which number he was, but uh, I know he's I know he's a tough challenge. I know he's hungry. I know this is a huge opportunity for him. And um, you know, everyone who has gotten a victory over me in the last years has has gone on to do uh, big things so I know it's a huge opportunity for him but uh, I feel like people are underestimating me
0: once again and uh, you know I may shock the world again well I'm not one of those people the reason why is because having seen Jonathan Martinez's previous fights a lot of the times the fighters that have really troubled him are the ones that are creative that that throw new looks Mm. at him and make good adjustments I feel like that is your bread and butter do you feel like that's going to be the x factor in this fight
8: yes and uh you know i could tell by the way that you're explaining it you know what you're talking about and i appreciate that but yeah i feel like he's done really well when he dictates the fight uh i feel like he likes to you know kind of lull you and then chop away at you and he doesn't want you to come at him he doesn't want you to throw anything crazy he, he wants a very like typical fight, and that does well for him. So I would like to make it ugly, make it nasty, make it fun, exciting, crazy, dynamic, and uh, and, and throw too many things at him that he's not used to.
0: It seemed like Vince Morales uh, had that work for him in the third round of the, of the last fight. The the first two rounds are exactly as you explained it. It was very robotic, very, you know, it was an of and nose kind of kickboxing match. And then in the third round, Vince was like, I'm kind of done with this. I'm I'm down two rounds. I need to shake it up a bit. And it seemed to be working for him. Um, And and you're a guy who made a lot of great adjustments in fight.
8: Yeah, and and the problem with that fight was that he waited too long to do it. So his, what I would say, his chess pieces were, he lost too many chess pieces. He had already lost his queen, his rook, you know. and And... When you sit there, that was my mistake when I fought Holloway. I was waiting, just waiting for an opportunity, trying to feel him out, and then realizing, man, you're getting chopped away at. And then by the time you say, I need to pull the trigger, it's too late. You're, you're, you're not as strong. You, you've been leg kicked. You've been, your arms hurt, you know, because you've been taking damage. That's what happened in that fight with for Morales. Had he just gotten his face and got to work, I think he would have had a lot more success.
0: Now, fighting at Holloway, you've typically been the smaller fighter. Um, like you said, you kind of walk around at a weight that's a little bit more conducive to fighting at bantamweight. But in this situation, I still feel like Jonathan Martinez might be bigger than you on fight day. He's a pretty big bantamweight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh,
8: I feel like I'm gonna be a pretty big bantamweight too. And I actually also, um, if we find ourselves in like the clinch and grappling exchanges, I think I will absolutely maul him in those positions. Uh, if I, if I find myself in those and uh because i just i do get to train with a lot of 135ers and good size 135ers and we have great exchanges and i i feel like my uh my overall game has just gotten better with my size at this weight so um i'm not too worried about him being bigger than me uh i feel like i'm gonna fill out uh nicely i feel like I'm doing this cut in the right way and I feel like I'm going to bounce back and I feel like I'm going to be strong and fast at the same time.
0: One name that has been on your mind for some time that you've mentioned in interviews is Jariah Faber. Now, from, from your understanding, is he still an active UFC fighter? Is he still planning on continuing his career? Because you had said one of the big issues was trying to find the weight class that worked for you both, but now that you're down at weight, it seems like that's been figured out.
8: Yeah, you know, it's always an option. Um, I, I just... I don't know if he's a hundred percent serious. Uh, I just, I know the fans would love it. I think it it would be a, it's a fight that we almost did before we even got in the big show, me and him almost fought on the smaller circuit, you know? So, uh, it would be fun and I respect him. He's a legend of the game. And, and yeah, at this point I, I like fighting these young up and comers sometimes, but I'd also like to fight some more, you know, veterans, uh, You know, Jose Aldo was another one I had been talking about. And maybe too late now, but maybe not. Uh, You you know, I I, want to get, you know, at the end of my career, I want to be remembered for the people I fought. And if uh, people don't remember the people, those people that I fought, it's not as big of
0: a, you know, a a feather in my cap. Well, you do have wins over Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira. I mean, need I remind you, I I think people will look at your resume. (laughs) It'll kind of speak for itself at this point in time.
8: Yeah, yeah, but you know, sometimes I look at the, you get reminded of resumes like Cowboy Cerrone and um, you know, guys like that, and you just go like, man, like Rafael Dos is another one that's with when you look at like who they fight, you're like geez, dude, like, no matter wins and losses don't matter, like you fought the absolute best and I feel like I've done that in my career, but I want to continue to do that, I don't want to I, I'm not trying to, like, take the easy road. I'm, I want to, you know, I want the big fights. I want the fans to love it. And uh, But ultimately, I want to fight in Palm Springs. I want to fight in my hometown.
0: Is there an arena there? Like, I, I mean, fill me in. I don't know what the uh, situation is in Palm Springs. I've heard yeah, you talk so about it in the are you a past. hockey
8: fan? Uh,
0: I'm, I mean, I'm Canadian, but sadly, I'm not a hockey fan. Oh, but okay. Is there a hockey
8: team that plays so, there? So the Seattle Kraken uh, is the newest franchise, that, the expansion team in the NHL. Well, their feeder team is the, is the Coachella Valley Firebirds and they just came to Palm Springs and they built an arena, a 12,000 person arena that's in Palm Springs right off the freeway. And so it's going to be finished in December. So I would like to get the UFC to host a fight night and maybe the main event in October of next year. That would be ideal.
0: You should run for city council and just make it happen. I mean, you're you're a big enough name that you could just probably get a a gimme into city council, have that kind of as a side hustle, and uh, you can bring the UFC to Palm Springs. Well, I don't think it's. I
8: think the city would love it. I don't. I don't think that's the issue. I think it's a, more the UFC deciding that they want to go there because you know everyone wants the UFC to come to their town, their city, so they get to pick and choose. I just don't think that Dana and the, and the head people have seen the potential of Palm Springs. Um, I, I think they, they're forgetting that there's all the snowbirds from Canada that are, that are there. Uh, then you're going to draw from Vegas, LA, Orange County, Arizona. There's the Marine
0: base that's right there. Uh, so it's like that place is going to sell out. I promise. Well, I mean, hey, listen, they've been to Moncton, New Brunswick, and done shows here in Canada in, like, the middle of the, the Maritimes. I have a feeling that they can probably pull one off in, in Palm Springs. Uh, last name for you, Dominic Cruz. I mean, if we're talking WEC Legends, I feel like that's one that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know that uh, I always knew people would bring that up at some point. Me and
8: him were friends for, for a long time, and we, we kind of just lost touch. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I never really like fighting, like, my, my real friends, but... Uh, yeah, that that could be an option if the fans wanted it enough, but that wasn't that was one of
0: the ones that I I was keeping off the list. All right, we'll stick with Faber then. Appreciate your time, Cup. Always a pleasure, and best of luck this Saturday in the coming event. I appreciate you. Watch out for
8: fireworks. I'm coming. One thirty-five. I'm excited. I promise I'm going to be fast.
0: Misha Serkinov is back in the light heavyweight division once more, taking on Alonzo Menafield this Saturday. Now, years ago, you told me, I always have 185 pounds in my back pocket. Would you have been, I guess, regretful
9: if you didn't at least give it a shot at some point in your career to go to 185 pounds? Of course, it's something that, you know, I I needed to do, I needed to try, and I was able to do it. However, you know, it's like a serious task, and after that, I couldn't recover, like, properly, just didn't feel like I had, like, the same strength and the power that I would have at 205. Uh, getting there is one thing, but like being able to perform the next day, it was a little bit, uh, uh, it was challenging. But I, I, I still wanted to try. I wanted to see um, how how I would do, you know, because for some people, they're, you know, they, they have a better success cutting down. And I guess it was not in my case. Yeah, I find that especially a fighter of your
0: uh, skills in terms of your submission skills, your grappling skills, and I found this the same sort of thing with Antonio Carlos Junior. Like he he won the Ultimate Fighter at heavyweight, moved down to light heavyweight, and then all the way down to middleweight. I felt like he should have stayed in the higher weight classes because his weight class, a lot of the fighters weren't as good at defending what he was great at, and I feel like that's the same for you.
9: Yeah, no, that I feel I feel the same way. I think that at two hundred five, um, I just have it's, it's it's like a unique weight class. You know, it's. Uh, where you have to be strong and fast, combination of everything, and I think that overall, without cutting too much weight, I can just perform better as an athlete, and therefore, I think two hundred five is just uh, just makes more sense. And I'm
0: sure this week, knowing that you don't have to cut down to one hundred eighty-five pounds, twenty pounds less than you're going to have to cut down to on Friday, it's probably a pretty big weight lifted off your shoulder.
9: Yeah, it's a big it's a big difference. You know, I don't have to uh, cut as much. I can concentrate on better training like you know i was training all the way up to the fight and I have the energy to do so instead of like concentrating cutting the weight
0: that's wednesday of fight week what would you have weighed today if you were weighing in at 185 pounds versus what you're weighing in at today to make 205 on friday
9: uh yeah today i would have to i would have to be probably like closer to like 194 you know somewhere like not too far off already like closer kind of like you know Nine ten pounds away and uh, closer to the fight. I mean, every day it's like a grind. You can't really eat much and whatever after you eat, it's immediate like work. You have to do some sort of training. You have to get your heart elevated and it, it, it's, it's difficult. It's not, it's not easy to cut down, especially when you don't have too much like weight to cut down. And
0: today on like, you know, you're weighing in, in a couple of days, you're probably close to your walk-around weight, I'd imagine.
9: Yeah, I'm not I'm not too far. I'm not too far. I'm definitely a lot heavier than c- compared to my last fights, you know. I feel better, more energy, just just in general. just feel like it's going to be a lot better performance.
0: They're taking on Alonzo Menafield. He used to train uh, at 4-7. From what I understand, he's not there anymore. Uh, you had fought Ryan Spann previously, two different fighters altogether, but... We've seen Alonzo have a lot of issues on the ground when he gets taken down there. So is that is that what you're hoping you're going to be able to do early on in this fight? Is to to bring the fight to him, get him to the ground, and then you know do what you do best, which is uh, find submissions in all kinds of different varieties.
9: Yeah, no, for sure. I would love to explore the ground and uh, seeing him, uh, seeing his last fights. I know he likes to take people down, and maybe you know he even brings a fight down himself. So we'll see. I'm I'm ready for his power shots, his overhand shots. And just in case he wants to wrestle, I'll be able to, you know, I'll be ready for that as well. And uh, it's definitely, it's a, it's a good fight. I, I like this fight. I like this matchup. He's a very tough guy, um, but I feel like, you know, I have the reach advantage. I feel like a little bit faster. So it, it should be, um, it should be a good fight. I'm sure every fight in the UFC feels like a
0: must-win, but uh, I heard your interview with James Lynch. This is the last fight on your contract, unless you've negotiated something already.
9: Yeah, like it's—I don't have anything, anything lined up. I'm just, you know, concentrating on this fight. I'm not even worried about like the future. I'm just, this is right now the biggest challenge. It's uh, this Saturday, October fifteenth, and then, uh, yeah, after that, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But right now, I just have to—I have to win this fight. It's very important. Are you training at Extreme Couture again for this particular camp, or are you uh, training? Kind
0: of, uh, I guess, in the last couple of camps, you were kind of going from place to place.
9: Yeah, uh, mainly I have like now a few good training partners. We we train out of uh, UFCPI, and uh, time to time I also go to Drysdale uh, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well.
0: And you're training with Sergey Spivak, from what I understand, as well
9: yeah uh Sergey Spivak, he'd been uh, he kind of like he'd been living in vegas a little bit more now that he has fights coming up and uh he's a great training partner but there's like many other uh Shmalini rama um you know uh, roman the leads, uh, like there's always there's always somebody good to train with
0: Yes, Milinho, someone you mentioned to James as well uh, in your interview with him. It's good to hear that he's back training. I don't know what he's been up to the last couple of years. Um, you had mentioned to him that he was doing some
9: sort of a course, but uh, is he expecting
0: yeah. you to resume competition?
9: Yeah, he's, uh, he's doing some school, uh, part-time school, and he's also, like, we've been training a lot as well. He's been coming out, and uh, he says that, I mean, he's, he's a tough guy. He's, he has good skills, and uh, I think he wants to do... Uh, one more one more run, um, he wants to do another like run. he wants to join somewhere and try to chase the belt one more time. Well, for a time, the
0: two big prospects from Canada were yourself and and Smilino Rama. and all these years later you guys are still at, still with it, but you guys are veterans now uh, of the sport, uh, although Rama has been kind of inactive I guess over the last couple of years
9: yeah yeah he 's been doing some school concentrating a lot of things, but he 's been also training he 's been uh, coming out and doing work. And, uh, yeah, like, he still has great skills, and so it's all about if he wants to, you know, put extra work, get in a fight shape, and then, uh, yeah, I think that he, he can do it. He can fight at uh, probably heavyweight if he wants. And
0: you're planning on keeping uh, Vegas as your home for the foreseeable future?
9: Uh, we'll see. Like right now, I'm training here. Right now, training is good. We have some good uh, training partners, and uh, the weather is good. Not too many, not too many restrictions and stuff. So right now, I'm like enjoying it. We'll see what happens in the future. Uh, but of course, I miss Canada. But it's uh, at this time, you know, I just have to do me kind of thing.
0: I always like that about you. You always keep an open mind to the future, but you're also very focused on the task at hand. So you're able to kind of juggle both of those uh, traits that you have, which is hyper-focus, and then from there, it's just, you know, the world's your oyster. You can do whatever you like.
9: Yeah, I like that idea to be able to be more free and being able to travel and, you know, go to Thailand or U.S. or, you know, enjoy your life, spending many different places and meeting, meeting new people and learning new things. I think it's, you know, it's all about that birds do that and why can't we you know like just be free and in- enjoy life instead of staying in the same spot forever i mean i i guess i have this opportunity to do that so i'm, I'm kind of enjoying it
0: mean, birds do have wings so they have a-, a bit of an advantage over us instead of having to wait at horrible airports for hours
9: yeah no i hear those uh airport lines were crazy
0: they better now. They've, 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 they've figured it out, finally. It, it took some time, but it, it seems like we're, we're getting back to, uh, I guess, pre-pandemic, you would call it, uh, levels of uh, efficiency.
9: Yeah. So things will start getting smoother once they drop all the certain unnecessary things, in my opinion, and things will go back and back to normal and people can travel and They're all dropped. enjoy life. Again. They're all
0: dropped. From what I understand. I don't, I don't think there's any barriers of entry. They're getting rid of that Arrive Can app. They're getting rid of, uh, I guess, any sort of um, documentation that you need to show that you, you would have had to in the last couple of months. It seems like things are starting yeah. to go back to the no. way they were.
9: Yeah, no, I, I've been waiting for that for a long time. Like here, I'm kind of already used to it. In the U.S., kind of in Vegas, not too many people wear masks. I, I don't really see anyone wear a mask at all. And if you see someone wear a mask, it's most likely they're actually being sick. And they're just doing it just, you know, for themselves kind of thing. But no, it's, it's been pretty smooth in U.S. Been very like more relaxed and more more enjoyable to to live, you know. I did want to
0: ask you about your former training partner Elias Theodore. You guys trained together at uh, Extreme Couture in Toronto. He he sadly passed away. You've had of course a very personal relationship with cancer with your wife Brittany, um, having to undergo treatments, and uh, and Susie, who is a friend of yours, uh, who did makeup for the UFC, passing away, and now Elias, unfortunately, losing his battle. Um, with colon cancer which uh, metastasized into a uh, liver cancer and uh, we unfortunately lost one of the uh the great canadian mixed martial artists uh, i'd love to hear if you have any stories about him that you'd like to share i i'm always interested to hear stories about him because he was just such a uh, a bubbly and unique guy uh that it you know it's, yeah, it's sad no. to know that he's not with us anymore
9: I, I still to this day can't believe like uh that he's that's what happened like i I mean, I had no idea because, like, he's so healthy. He would, uh, he's one of those guys, like, whatever he puts his mind into, like, he would just do it, you know? Like, he would randomly would go and just jog for, like, 25, 30 kilometers, you know? Just, like, insane. Just, you know, he was, every everywhere he would go, he would kind of, like, elevate the mood and the energy in the room, and, uh, same when he was training, you know, um, just very good energy in, in general, you know. Um, we we train a lot. We travel together for the fights. Uh, just very very unfortunate, you know. That's he's so young and he has so much ahead, and it's crazy. It's crazy how cancer just taking people away, and uh, it's very hard to stop. You know, some people can get out of it, and some people can't. And it yeah, sucks. It's, it's
0: still hard to just think about the fact that he's not with us, right? That's the part that's so strange to me is just like, he's not, he was so he was yeah, always so active was, on social media
9: and just like, you so see him every day. Social media, yeah, just active in general. He's like easy to talk to, always kind of like takes his time to talk to everybody. Just like, kind of like easy to get a conversation with and uh, man, just a nice guy. And he was kind of like a people's uh, fighter. You know, he would always kind of entertain, kind of, he tried to entertain everyone. And uh, yeah, just very unfortunate. Very good guy. Yeah, absolutely. I had all my memories, all the all the my good memories with him is us actually training. You know, we did like many sparring rounds, grappling rounds. He would he would come to Extreme Couture in Toronto. Like we would train a lot there. Uh, yeah, no, was just I still can't believe he's uh, no longer with us.
0: Yeah, I imagine you guys trained together frequently. You guys were around the same size. Uh, in Toronto there weren't a whole lot of places to go uh, for your training and uh, you were a staple on Extreme Couture, so was he for some time. So I imagine that uh, you know, yeah, I a lot it was of hours.
9: like you know, as uh, like f- for example, when he first when he started training, I remember he was kind of like like a white belt. He just started coming into Extreme Couture. He didn't really grapple much before, but he was like very like wiry and good a- athlete. and uh, so I kind of see him progress from like very very like small lower level into he got into UFC before me, you know. I I thought that was like like wow, like that's that's impressive, you know, like and I was thinking if he's there like it's just a matter of time, I'll be there for sure. But like he's he's one of those guys, like I said, like he puts his mind into it, like running like thirty thirty kilometers and he just goes and do it. So he put his mind into UFC and he boom, he did it. Unfortunately he was not able to uh beat the cancer. Like what a great guy, you know, he's definitely like a uh Canadian pioneer now of Canadian MMA.
0: Absolutely. A lot of people don't realize he entered the gym for the first time at age 21. Like it, to, to go from that
9: yeah. to being in the UFC at Crazy. 27
0: is unbelievable.
9: Yeah, that's what a lot of people don't understand because at this sport, uh, at, at this level of fighting, you know, because MMA has many different levels, but like at the highest level of fighting, to be able to fight and win fights starting that late, that's just like, that's a so special. He, he was able to find a way how to to drill through there and go and man it was great it was great uh, training with him and just knowing him in general well, he was absolutely a special guy
0: um i'm glad that uh, you were able to share some stories uh, about him with us and uh, i want to wish you all the best this saturday you're back in the light heavyweight division taking on alonzo Menafield. always appreciate your
9: time sir thank you thank you thanks for your time
0: He is one of the biggest signings in the history of the PFL. He is Shane Burgos. And I remember the first time you were a free agent, you said to me, yeah, I'll be re-signing with the UFC. You just got to wait for the right offer. I was very surprised to see you go over to the PFL, but this must have been uh, the kind of offer that one can't refuse.
1: It, it, you said it like it was one of those things. Like the first time I was I, I was in a couple of interviews, um, I was a UFC fighter at the time. Mentally, I was a UFC fighter. This time around, I'm a, I'm a prize fighter. And when my career is all said and done, it's got to be worth it. And um, the offer that the PFL gave me, it, it's going to make it worth it i'm getting paid like a real pro athlete um i after i fought my contract out this time in my mind i i still thought i would end up re-signing with the ufc i that's just what i what i assumed what i thought um but the offer that i got from the pfl is one of those things where i was like I, I can't i how could i turn this down i couldn't
0: it's one of those things where you'd probably at the end of your career look yourself in the mirror and Say to your wife, you know, why did why did I turn down that kind of money, right? It's, it, you know, it's that's what I think going to set the PFL apart is if they're able to sign guys that are exciting to watch like yourself, uh, and and people that you know the audience will want to tune in for. I think it's really going to take them a long way.
1: Completely agree. Completely agree. They're they're making moves. You see all the signings that they're making. They're they're, they're really. Striving for that number one spot, and I think that right now they, they are the number two spot. I think that they, they did surpass um, Bellator. Obviously UFC is number one. That's no secret there. I mean it's clear cut. They they are the dominant promotion. But um there there is a there's other promotions out there. I think this is healthy for the sports healthy for the fighters to, to to realize that you guys don't have to put all your eggs in one basket with one promotion. You have options. You have options not only to to fight in other organizations, but to make real money in other organizations.
0: I have an idea for them. I, I I think they've probably already got the wheels moving on this, but they want to launch that pay-per-view division. I hope they're on the phone with Nate Diaz and his team and trying to throw some money at him to to get him to come over. Because if you're going to launch a pay-per-view division, I, I feel like that would be a step in the right direction.
1: I completely agree. That would be fucking awesome too. Like, uh, th- yeah, please get, get him on board and um, they can afford it. So uh, it, it, that would be fucking awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I certainly agree. Now, your first opponent been determined, and it was a surprise to, I think, a lot of people in mixed martial arts that it was going to be Marlon Rice. So how did that come about? And I'm sure they threw that name at you. What was your first thought?
1: Yeah, it was just like, I was like, oh, oh shit, all right, okay, let's let's do it. I, I wasn't expecting it. I thought maybe they'd try to set it up in, in the tournament um, right off the bat. But, in that, but sitting back and thinking about it, it, it makes sense, because this is their first ever pay-per-view. They're stacking the card. They're putting um, – all their eggs in one basket with this one they're putting all, all the stars on, on on the card so i understand it. it makes sense me versus sam is one of those fights that if it was on a ufc fight night everyone's tuning in for that fight it's one of those fights that it, it's a hundred percent guaranteed going to be a fucking banger and it, it when you sit down and you think about it it doesn't make it doesn't sorry it doesn't it, it isn't too surprising that they've mashed this up right off the bat
0: i'm thinking you're going to do 155 next year for the tournament i know you've alluded to that but i think that just makes the most sense is that the direction you're you're leaning towards right now
1: um, I, I have said it in some, some other interviews, too. I'm still I'm still dabbling with the idea between 145 and 155. Um, it's definitely not – I'm not set either way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take this fight. I'm going to fight this fight at 145, and then we're going to go and see how my weight fluctuates after the fight because obviously with the tournament, you, you have a quick turnaround, so I can't have my weight skyrocket up. So, like, you know what I mean? Not, not, that it, not that it skyrockets ridiculous or anything like that, but I can't – like I'm going to check two weeks after the fight. If my weight is where my goal is – then I can stay at 45. If it's a little bit too heavy, then yeah, it'll probably be 55. But right now I'm just going to take it one fight at a time, focus on this fight. And then we're going to do that weight assessment after.
0: I guess with the PFL, one of the good things about their schedule is that you, they have a schedule? Like, you know, you know when round two of the tournament yeah. is and that way you can plan for it from a dietary standpoint.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's the one thing I, I love about the the, the format and this, that I know exactly when I'm going to fight. And then on top of that, you kind of know who you're going to fight. I mean, you got, you got a couple of options, but, but, uh, Once the tournament starts, you kind of see it's bracketed, so you know exactly who you're going to fight. You know exactly when you're going to fight. You know exactly what you have to do to make that million dollars, and a million dollars is a lot of fucking money. So if you're going to put me in a bunch of fights, but I'm going to make that much money, that sounds fucking good.
0: I just want to see Shane Burgos versus Clay Collard. Is that too much to ask?
1: (laughs) If if I go to 55, then it's one of the fights that's probably going to happen.
0: Yeah, well, there we go. I mean, hopefully you versus Anthony Pettis would be awesome. You versus Clay Collard would be great. Uh, you versus Oban Mercier. I mean, he's a Canadian guy, but uh, at the same time, like he's in the finals now. Like, there's a lot of good fighters right now uh, in that yeah. in that 155 division, and then at 45, I don't know if, if Belayev is coming back next season, but that guy's a, a marauder as well. Not to mention you got the likes of Baba Jenkins, uh, Chris Wade, like a lot of really good fighters at 45.
1: Yeah, yeah, both. both I think the 55 and the 45 divisions are the two, are the two um, talent stack divisions. Um, 45, I think, might be a little bit. I don't want to say stronger, but but yeah, yeah, Brandon, who I think is a, is a legit talent. But at fifty five, you got really good guys too, man. It, it, both those weight classes are stacked, so it's not like I'm going to go and make the, the easier choice. Like either one is going to be a, is going to be a challenge.
0: Do you feel a, a, a sort of difference? I mean, you were kind of a small fish in a big fa- a big pond before in the UFC, and right now you're a, a big a big fish in the small pond. I know I'm tripping over my words here saying that. I, I figured you knew where I was going with that, but uh, do you feel that yeah. way? Do you feel like you're one of the stars of the company now?
1: Um. Maybe maybe name value wise maybe a little bit but I don't I don't put too much stock
0: into that because
1: you know what I mean you can you can slip up and you start thinking you start sipping your own Kool Aid you get beat by a guy that nobody knows and you end up looking like a fucking jackass for that so uh I don't put too much stock into that part at all I mean I yeah I think I am name value wise one of the, one of the bigger names and definitely one of the bigger signings but it doesn't matter at the end of the day when you get two guys in there a monkey can get lucky so I'm not gonna gonna treat or in my mind treat anyone like a like they're lesser than me just because, uh, because my name value. You know what I mean? I got to treat every rep, every opponent with respect. And, uh, if anything, there's even more pressure on me to win to perform.
0: Are any of your teammates dabbling with the idea of going uh, to the PFL? Uh, I'm sure there are some that are, uh, are not signed just yet. Uh, there's your brother Ryan. I'm sure he's, he's looking to, to go to a major promotion. Oh, there he is. He's always with you. You guys are just like attached to the hip.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah we just came from the boxing gym, so that's we're we're in the car right now. But, um, yeah, yeah, I got, definitely have some teammates that are that are that are dabbling with the idea. it just opened their eyes too to show like, shit, it's not just all about the UFC. Like holy shit, like we can go to another promotion and make a, a good a good living doing what we love elsewhere. So it, it opened a lot of people's eyes. Not just my teammates, but um, I got other fighters messaging me and shit like that. Like that is guys that are in the UFC, guys that aren't in the UFC yet, but uh, a bunch of other fighters that are. Dabbling with the idea, so don't be surprised if you see PFL making some more more waves and making some big signings soon.
0: I feel like there's a, a misconception that you know the fighters don't get paid that much unless they win the tournament. It's not not true. I mean, you guys get a, a really high base salary on top of uh, getting you know the big bounty at the end of the tournament yeah. if you're successful.
1: Exactly. Obviously, you win the tournament, you win that the, the the overall million dollar prize. But every fight leading up to that, I'm making I'm making nice money. Uh, the, the, I'm not gonna go into specifics, but I'm very happy with my. Like like my next fight coming up, it's not a tournament fight, but I'm very happy with what I'm getting paid.
0: If you were handed a check for a million dollars, what would you do with it?
1: Probably put in the bank account, um, and sit on it for like a month before I make a decision like that because I'd look for
0: some investments. I don't
1: I don't know. I, 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 it's one of those things like I got I gotta sit back, think about it, act like I don't have it, and then make my decision.
0: It's got to be added pressure for any fighter to just have that number thrown at them, knowing that they can win it. I mean it's not like it's the the lottery where you know whatever one in so so many million that has a chance this is like one in whatever 10 or how, however many is in the field not to mention you have a better chance if you're a better fighter. Yeah, it's it's within
1: arm's reach. You know what I mean? It's five fights away, not even necess- yeah, it's five fights away. Um five wins away. You could you could go one and one in the in the post in the preseason, so it's like it's within arm's reach. It really is. Like it, you can see it. As soon as the twenty twenty three st- season starts, it's like that million dollars is in, is in your in your sight for for every single fighter that's on, that's on the roster.
0: They do a lot of fights in New York. Uh, are you happy about that as well? I mean, I think this this finale is going to be in New York.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was talks about it being in Vegas, and I was stressing out about that a little bit because it was um, going to be Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving. Um, I had a bunch of fr- friends and family that are going to come out, and it was just a little, a lot more, um, a lot more. Uh, Stressful on them. And then me, too, like having to worry about my, my family missing out on their on their, their uh, days and stuff. So I'm like, shit, that's rough. But then I'm in New York City and I'm like, this is it. You cannot beat this because I live about an hour and 10 minutes away, maybe a little bit longer with traffic. It's on Black Friday. Everybody has work already. Um, it's an MSG. That, uh, I was like, this is perfect. Man, the stars
0: are line. And not to mention, I mean, never hurts that you've never lost in the state of New York.
1: Exactly. Exactly. 7-0 New York, about to be 8 know.
0: All right, sir. So well, we're looking forward to it. It's the uh, PFL finale. Uh, give me the date. I, I always forget what the date of this is.
1: It's Black Friday.
0: That's November the fifth.
1: Twenty fifth. Twenty fifth.
0: November the twenty fifth. Okay. Yes. When you say Black Friday, I'm I'm a Canadian and we just had Thanksgiving, so it, it doesn't mean quite as much to me.
1: <laughs> I just thought about that as soon as I said it. I was like, oh shit, yeah, probably, you probably know what Black Friday is. Yeah. <laughs> we
0: we we've stolen the concept of Black Friday for deals. <laughs> But it doesn't, like, it's not associated with our Thanksgiving. It's associated with your Thanksgiving, uh, exactly. which we don't really pay that much attention to.
1: Exactly. Yep, yep. So, We're still exactly. picking at the it,
0: leftovers here. It was this past weekend that we had Thanksgiving.
1: It, honestly, I'm happy that it's the day after Thanksgiving and I'm not missing Thanksgiving like now. Because I'll be able to have those leftovers and they'll be relatively fresh. And I mean, like, me weighing in on Thanksgiving Day and then having those leftovers just sitting there waiting for me to, to get home and i only have an hour drive home so after my fight on the 25th i might just say fuck the hotel drive right home go start eating
0: well i certainly wouldn't blame you it's a fantastic meal uh, every single year uh, always appreciate your time yeah. sir uh, best of luck to you best of luck to your bro- uh, your brother who's with you right now and uh, look forward to seeing you do your thing on november the 25th it's the finale of the pfl the uh, prelims i believe are on tsn up here in canada and uh, look forward to all your success in the pfl
1: thank you brother appreciate your time
0: A huge thank you to all of our guests. Charles Dobronks, Olivera, Islam Makhachev, Aljamain Sterling, Alexa Grasso, Brandon Royval, Cub Swanson, Misha Surkinov, and Shane Burgos. And man, I'm out of breath just saying all those names. And of course, to you, the listener, thank you for tuning in this week once more. And you know what I'm going to ask you. If you have a moment to go wherever you find these podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, etc., and leave us a nice review, it goes a long way and I appreciate it. And if you're listening in your car or wherever you tune into TSN Radio in Ottawa and Toronto, I appreciate you as well. Thank you for tuning in. And we will be back next week with a preview of UFC 280, perhaps the most stacked card of the year, taking place in Abu Dhabi on October the 22nd. So until then, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news,
1: visit tsn.ca slash UFC.